from ABC News. I'm Brian Clark. The U.K. variant of the coronavirus continues to be spotted around the U.S. That variant's thought to be more contagious, and some British officials are warning it could be up to 30% more deadly. Scientists are stressing that more research is needed on whether this variant is actually deadlier, but Dr. Ashish Jha of Brown University School of Public Health tells ABC that regardless, it's all about the vaccine. Every new infection is an opportunity for the virus to mutate further, and we've got to really try our best to control these things, and the vaccine is our best tool right now. The Biden administration has set a goal of 100 million vaccine doses in the first 100 days of his administration. So far, the U.S. has administered over 20 million doses. That was the target the Trump administration set for the end of 2020. Former presidents facing a second impeachment trial in the Senate for incitement of insurrection over the January 6th riot on Capitol Hill. One of the Democrats in the House who voted to impeach was California's Eric Swalwell. He tells ABC. He had, you know, foreknowledge of what they would do if summoned. And once they got there, he said, you can't show weakness. You have to fight. You're going to lose your country. And even suggested that he would go up there uh, with him. Yes, he knew exactly uh, what he was doing. And now there's a new report from the New York Times alleging then-President Trump plotted what they called an elaborate scheme to overturn the president's victory in Georgia. scheme involved firing the Attorney General Jeffrey Rosen and replacing him with the DOJ official Jeffrey Clark. According to the Times, Trump decided against firing Rosen only after top Justice Department officials threatened mass resignations. Clark telling the Times their report contained inaccuracies and that all of his official communications were consistent with the law. Trump declined to comment, according to the report. The latest report could have an impact on the former president's upcoming impeachment trial. Both Rosen and Clark could be called as witnesses. That's ABC's Andrew Dimbert in Washington. You're listening to ABC News. I like a bed that's really firm. I need something a little softer than that. Rest easy. With the Sleep Number 360 Smart Bed, you can both adjust your comfort with your Sleep Number setting. Can it really help me fall asleep faster? Yes, by gently warming your feet. Okay, but can it help keep us asleep? It senses your movements and automatically adjusts to keep you effortlessly comfortable. Sleep Number, proven quality sleep is life-changing sleep. Save $1,000 on the Sleep Number 360 Special Edition Smart Bed. Queen, now $17.99, plus special financing. Ends Monday. To learn more, go to sleepnumber.com. Special financing subject to credit approval. Minimum monthly payments required. See store for details. Fever is a leading symptom of the coronavirus. So take your temperature twice a day with the Exergen Temporal Scanner. It's quick and easy to use, and its accuracy is backed by more than 80 clinical studies. Have your family start and end their day with the only home thermometer used and recommended by hospitals, doctors, and nurses. Your family can take their temperatures in seconds to know where they stand in the fight against COVID-19. Protect your family from the spread of this deadly disease and stay safe with Exergen. All right, just head of gardening. Let's talk about our friend Fred Morales down at Morales Feed. You know, if you'd have Fred come put some organic fertilizer on your land, even on a day like this, when it's just kind of misty, drizzly, but no real rain, that fertilizer will be soaking up that moisture. You see the kind of organic fertilizer that Fred provides to farmers and ranchers? It's hygroscopic. It actually pulls moisture from the air. And, you know, it's less expensive or at least no more expensive than the chemical stuff that you've been putting on your land that's been destroying your soil and your microbes and the quality of your crops. Why don't you go with Fred? He can actually spread that fertilizer for you if you like, uh, or he can bring it to you in a spreader. does not require PTO, just requires something to pull it around that field and put out that good quality organic fertilizer. Plus, he has the capacity to blend in seed. Still looking to put some veg or clover out for a cool weather cover crop? Looking to plant some native grasses? Fred can take care of that for you, and you're doing it all in one application. 
and that means you use half the diesel and you're not messing up your land nearly as much. Fred does so many things to help farmers and ranchers across the hill country and across South Texas. Provides the best, most water efficient uh, irrigation system out there called the K-Line system. And for those of us uh, that are just looking for homeowner products, the best in feed of all sorts and everything that you would expect from a great farm and ranch store. Down at Divine, go see him there. Up in uh, Lakey, go see him there. Just, just you know, he, he literally works all over this part of the state helping to save individual farms and ranches uh, through soil or I guess, guess what we call agriculture regeneration or regenerative agriculture, whichever way you look at it, saving the world at the same time. That's a great guy, Fred Morales from Morales Feed. Ugly, old, worn out, and rotting. Eddie, that's no way to talk to your brother. Giovanni, I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about the reasons people call Precision Windows and Outdoor Living. We get calls all day long from homeowners telling us their windows are old and leaky and their home siding is warped and rotting. Lucky for you, that's a Precision Windows and Outdoor Living specialty. Sure is. Providing Energy Star rated windows with a lifetime warranty and quality installation. Plus, hardy plank siding that won't rot, won't warp, and doesn't require years of maintenance. It even comes with a 30-year warranty. Hey, I'll be 74 in 30 years. I'll still be around. If you need new windows and doors or new siding, call our local, family-owned, and operated business. We oversee every job, and our reputation is in every window and every piece of siding. Always discounts for military and first responders. That's the Precision way. Precision Windows and Outdoor Living, 210-524-0023. Or online at precisionwindowssa.com. Listen to this radio station on the Radio.com app. Connect with your favorite radio shows through contests, social media, and podcasts. Create custom alarms with your favorite radio stations, all free with the Radio.com app. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. Talk to Bob now. 210-599-5555. As we start out another nice uh, South Texas Sunday <laughs> with a nice warm temperature out there, you barely need a jacket, certainly no more than a heavy long sleeve shirt or maybe a very light jacket. But I tell you, if you're out on the roads, be careful. Don't be calling me while you're driving this morning because it is foggy up in the hill country, probably down across South Texas as well. Haven't had a lot of rain coming down out of the sky, but one thing about this kind of weather, there's not much going back up into it either. We call that evaporation transpiration that's a combination of what uh, evaporates from the ground and what transplant plants transpire on days like yesterday and today uh not much going into the soil but there's not much coming out of the soil either so you know me always looking for a bright spot when we absolutely what we wish for will be about a three inch rain slow and steady to really start soaking that soil which is what we need going into spring and we are going to be heading into spring before we know it and uh, so many things to talk about don't dial right this second by the way because everybody got in early this morning it's going to be Marilyn and matt and janie and mike and uh uh, let me see if Chris is sending me anything else here, but uh, uh, looks like the lineup is still the same. So uh, uh, we're going to start out with Marilyn. Good morning, Marilyn. Yeah, good morning, Bob. Uh, good morning. I have a question on raised beds. I want to do a raised bed out in my backyard. Okay. Um, I, I have the cedar plank and everything, and then I was going to put down cordboard. Uh, and the, as far as the soil, I want to do everything organic. Okay. Uh, what soil would you suggest? Stone and soil, garden soil, or uh, yeah, garden. Get. Oh, go ahead. 
No, you go ahead. <laughs> okay. Yes, I like Stone and Soil's garden soil. It's not perfect, but in my opinion, it's the best on the market. Um, because of just the way, because compost is made and the nature of compost, um, it, uh, you know, it will use a little more nitrogen, a little more fertilizer the first couple of years. The soil is just going to get better over time. It is going to shrink a bit over time, so you're going to be adding to it probably in a year or so, but uh, um, I, I still think there's just the best on the market. Do verify that it is not a soil containing biosolids. Uh, they're pretty much about like me. They much prefer the manure-based compost, but you just want to be sure that their uh, supplier didn't slip any biosolids into it, but that's the soil that I uh, I would certainly recommend and use. And like I say, just first couple of years, just whenever you're getting ready to fertilizer, pretty much double up on the amounts you would use, and you will grow a great garden even the very first year. Okay, and then after I put the garden soil on, do I put compost on top of that or mulch or not? It would be, I would add, if it were me, I would add a little bit of additional compost. And what I would do, even if I wasn't ready to plant, and this is actually what I'm doing in my own garden area, is I'm going to go ahead and put down my organic fertilizer, put a little bit of compost on top of that, because compost is going to start feeding all the microbes and things down into the soil that basically digest the fertilizer and make it available to plants. That's one of the big misconceptions is, it's, it's, you know, like you eat a meal and you get immediate benefit. No, your body has to digest it. You put fertilizer on the soil, you don't get immediate benefit. The microbes in the soil basically have to digest it and turn it into things that are readily absorbed by plants. So I always like to put my fertilizer out a little early before I plant and then adding a layer of compost, even a, even a thin layer. Now, with new soil, I'd probably go fairly thick, maybe as much as an inch. Um, you're just you're just setting the stage to grow a perfect garden. Okay, so you uh, after it's established, you uh, how how often do you fertilize the the uh, the plants? My general procedure um, in gardening is when you plant or before you plant, put down a good dry organic fertilizer. It might be Medina's Growing Green. It might be Meister Gross Texas Tea. It might be Nature's Creations Premium Lawn Food. But I'm going to put down a dry fertilizer because that's going to feed for about 90 days. After that, I'm going to be switching to a liquid, something like Hester Grow Plant or Medina's Do uh, Fish Formula Fertilizer. And that's what I'm just going to keep on following up with uh, uh, and again, I'm on, I'm big on analogies and some of them aren't very good, but you know, you're not just going to eat one big meal a day and that's it. At the very least, you're going to eat one really big meal and then you're going to kind of snack along for the rest of the day. And that's kind of what you want to give your plants. Okay. So, and as far as the seeds, um, it's not that necessary to have our, or the organic soil and is it necessary to have the organic seeds or not? If you were planning to sell your produce and label it uh, certified, USDA certified organic, you would have to have organic seed. But us mortals that basically feed ourselves and our family and our friends, uh, I would never go with genetically modified seed. I'm not going to grow with any of these corns that are BT, you know, producing or things like that. But I, I, I'm not a stickler for organic seed. I'm, if there's a choice, I will always buy organic. But if there's no organic squash, I'll buy, you know, a good squash because the main thing 
about growing things is how you care for them. I think that's much more important than what you start with. But uh, like I say, okay. for anybody to think about selling at the farmer's market, labeling it organic, uh, you guys need to look for organic seed. Yeah, I'm not going to be doing it. I'm just going to be eating it. But, um, <laughs> Yet. I, uh, Yet. <laughs> I, I, you had mentioned a kale that that would grow uh, spring, and, uh, and I didn't write it down. Um, what was the name of that kale? I'm looking uh, for specific, um, uh, like bok choy. If you have uh-huh. a name of a bok choy that I can plant, a kale and green beans that are good. Um uh, kale, uh, my favorite is a taller kale. It's called Toscano kale, T-O-S-C-A-N-O. It's also called the variously dino, D-I-N-O, dino kale. And uh, that's the one that's growing out in my garden right now. Bok choy, golly, I don't really know many varieties. There's your standard bok choy, and then there's your what's called baby bok choy, which just makes much smaller plants, and you harvest a whole plant instead of harvesting a few leaves at a time. But uh, I don't really think there's a lot of variety in bok choy, and like I said, I'm thinking of the seed that I plant. Yeah. Um, and uh, the other other things you mentioned, what what other were you looking green for? Green beans, green green beans, in in spring, in the early cooler part of the year. My favorite is a thin green bean, um, um, which is called Tavera, T A V E R A. It's not a great hot weather bean, so you know your beans are going to give you about a ninety day crop, and then it's time to plant more beans. So my first crop of beans is always Tavera, and then usually my summer crop is going to be Contender or Top Crop, um, just one that's a little more heat tolerant. But I always start out with the uh, Tavera. Okay, okay, and then I was just going to do uh, Crawford lettuce and sugar snap peas. That's uh-huh. fine. That's fine. I actually plant one called Oregon Sugar Pod, but uh, or Sugar Pod too. But Sugar Snaps, if they're labeled Sugar Snaps, are they're just good edible pod peas. Okay, pod peas. Okay, okay. Uh, well, hopefully you gave me though the name of the seed companies. Hopefully they they have these seeds. So and well, let me the, just ask you. Go ahead. Uh, the t- the two ones that are organic that are widely sold as packaged seed. One of them is called Botanical Interests. And the other is called Renee's, R-E-N-E-E-S, Renee's Seed. Those are probably my two favorite band, uh, brands, so to speak, and you'll find them in most good nurseries. Okay. Um, and um, let me just ask you, since there's a shortage of seeds, um, is there a way that you can uh, save the seeds and put oh, them absolutely. in the freezer for years no, to come, or not, how long do they not, last? Not in the freezer, in the refrigerator. And there's not a shortage yet, but I suspect there will be by mid to late summer. So if you want to get ahead on it, uh, you want to keep them in the refrigerator. But our refrigerators, uh, being frost-free, they're very low humidity, and they tend to dry the seed out, which shortens its life. So what I do is just put it in a mason jar or, you know, a jar with a sealable lid, and uh, the top shelf of my refrigerator has about as much vegetable seed as it does food in there, and that's the best way to store them. Okay. All right. Great. Thank you. I'm ready to do this. So. <laughs> okay. Let me let me much. let me tell you one more thing. Not so good. Okay. Uh, you said you already had your wood, right? Yes, I do. They're cedar planks. Uh, very okay. thick cedar planks. Um, 
And uh, did and you I buy them at a Augustine Grass? Did Did you buy your gonna... your Yeah, did you buy your cedar at a lumberyard or somewhere like that? Uh, I think I ordered it from Home Depot. Okay, what you're getting is not juniper like we have in the hill country that is very long-lived. Uh, what you're getting is western red cedar, and unfortunately it's going to rot out on you. Uh, it's, in my opinion, it's maybe the third best choice. Since you already have it, use it. But don't be under the illusion that cedar is a long-lasting, durable wood. Uh, you're probably going to get four or five years out of it before you replace it. When you replace okay, so it, what think... Would you replace it? Yeah. Uh, go with uh, either the synthetic wood that is called Trex, T-R-E-X, or hopefully by that time we will have more retail avail- availability of this uh, uh, wood called Eco Vantage or Eco Prem wood. It's the best wood I've ever used, but it's not really available in the retail market yet. It's just uh, it's a special treatment. It's not chemicals. It's a heat process, but uh, they've made wood that lasts for 30 years in ground contact with no chemicals, and uh, it's uh, it and Trex are about the same price. So just looking down the road... Don't feel like you've done something wrong when you start finding rotten spots in your cedar four or five years from now. Okay. Well, it's uh, several years old because I had pulled it up after a year, and it's sitting uh-huh. on my back porch, and it's already starting to rot. So yeah. um, I was wondering about that. Yeah. Yeah, get it okay. out there. But when Maybe you replace time. it, go with either Trex or with EcoVantage. Okay. All right. Thank you so much, Bob. This is great. You're, uh, you're welcome, Marilyn. I'm going to do this pretty soon. So. And if you're ever by uh, our nursery, uh, Shades of Green, uh, we'll give you a free garden guide as to our recommendation on planting times and things like that. I suspect that Fanix probably probably has uh, the same thing. And uh, Anyway, just let us help you, and you know where to call me if you have questions. And you have All a great right. day. Thank you. Thank you. All right, let me get a quick break out of the way here. I realize that was a little long, but uh, I realize there are also there are probably a bunch of people out there thinking about starting a garden that will benefit from that information. Batch will be up as soon as we do this break, and I get to talk about Fanix here. And, uh, you know, Fanix is just, uh, after 80-some-odd years, what is it, 82, 83 years now? I'll have to ask Mark or Mike next time I talk to him, but... Um, they're just, they're certainly San Antonio's oldest nursery, one of the biggest nurseries, and just, again, staffed by plantsmen, people who love plants, not somebody that's just in the business to try to make money. I mean, three generations of family, these these guys have bred and developed new varieties, uh, like the John Fannick peach, Old Lady Fannick uh, bred and developed pecan varieties. Uh, you know, you're just dealing with good people when you deal with Fannicks, and they've gotten their bare root fruit trees in. If you're looking to plant as many trees where as little money as possible, bare root is the way to go. Get your holes dug, get over to Fanicus and get those bare root trees. Uh, they don't, you know, they hold them that way for a month or so, and then they can them up, which they need to do, but, of course, that increases the price. Now, if you're looking to get ahead, get a little bit bigger tree, yes, they have fruit trees that have already been in containers for about a year or so. Along with that, they have all the trees that qualify for the green uh, CPS tree green shade rebate program. They've got everything you're looking for in organic fertilizers and compost and, uh, gosh, pop-up greenhouses, plus things like those Traeger pellet grills and supplies, the Ego uh, lithium-ion battery-powered outdoor equipment. Fanix has got just about everything you'd look for in the garden world. Over on Home Green Road, right where they've been for over 80 years. Check them out online if you like it. Fanick, F-A-N-I-C-K, FanickNursery.com. 
All right. Chris had a real good point, my great engineer, this morning. If you're out driving around in the fog, watch out for idiots walking on the road. <laughs> there, uh, It's amazing what people do walking out in the traffic lanes and things like that. A morning like this, you're just not going to see them until it's too late. So uh, do be careful if you're out there driving because, uh, you know, it fog is patchy, so to speak. But, man, there are places on 410 uh, and on I-10 for me driving in this morning that it was very, very dense fog. So please be careful out there. There. Next up on the phone lines is Matt. Good morning, Matt. Morning, Bob. How are you? I'm good this morning. How about yourself? Not too bad. Hey, I got about uh, 27 acres. I've been kind of uh, trying to get a hold of the Wesats in the past couple of years and got them knocked back to where my coastal is getting a pretty good stand. Uh uh-huh. Looking to get some boiler, boiler litters spread out. Uh-huh. Uh, they're kind of recommending 500,000 pounds an acre. Does that sound about right? You know, you're never going to overdo it. If you could put out, you know, 500 pounds, be a quarter ton per acre, uh, that's going to be a, a real good start. Um, broiler litter is such that if it was well enough composted, you could plant in 100% broiler litter. I remember many years ago, I had the pleasure of going to Switzerland. They put their barns up on rocks they call stones. And I remember seeing a barn where they'd just been shoving the manure, and this was larger animal manure out the back door, and there's a manure pile about five feet high. And the prettiest squash I have ever seen in my life, bar none, just growing right out of the top of that manure pile. So 500 pounds per acre is going to be, it's not going to set you back uh, impossibly economically. It's going to kickstart the microbial life in the soil. Uh, would I, I think that would be quite adequate. Now, if you happen to have secretly won the billion-dollar Powerball lottery, you know, I'd put 1,000 or 1,500 pounds per acre, but 500 is a real good starting point. Okay, what about, uh, i got a pretty good section in the back of broom sets coming up. How, do, how mm-hmm. can I can c- control that once I get that litter out there without, you know, chemically spraying it? Oh, best thing you can do and better than chemical spraying is just, uh, you know, uh, shear it off at ground level. Get out there and just mulch okay. it down. And uh, it's a very seasonal plant, and uh, it would be good to get it down before it really starts going to seed. Uh, right now, it's just kind of those wiry little stems. I haven't seen any flowers open at all. It's one of the one of the many little gifts Mother Nature gives me on an annual basis, and I, I just shred it. Uh, usually a couple of times it's going to die out with the heat and uh, be gone before it makes seed if you may, can manage that. And with that kind of acreage, you know, you're looking you're looking at, a, depending on what kind of shredder you've got, it's really not a very big job. Right, right. Okay. And on my entrance to my place, I've got, I don't know, seven, 800 foot of road frontage that I keep mowed on both sides of the fence. And, yes, sir. And uh, that's usually where my, my sticker birds decide to locate. Uh, they're full of pep up here in town. has got some of that organic mushroom compost. Would that compost, be good to yeah. spread out there? That'd be fine to spread out there. Uh, only problem I ever have with mushroom compost is occasionally it's a little salty, but that's not going to be any problem with what you're using it for. I, I don't think it's as good as a blended compost because when you've got basically the 
you know, mushroom spa material that they're doing. You're, you're getting the microbes that break that down. If you can find a good blended compost that uses mushroom compost plus manure compost plus, you know, vegetable waste plus uh, even old ice cream, anything that breaks down. When you're getting a whole bunch of different feedstocks into it, you're getting a whole bunch of different microbes in there. So it's kind of like, you know, I would consider the mushroom compost a, a really good hamburger. Uh, I would consider, you know, one of the blended compost, you know, more like prime rib. Hamburger's really good, and I eat a lot more hamburgers than I do prime rib. But um, it, it's it's a good product, but uh, if you have the opportunity, if you ever find something price competitive that is a blended compost that uses both uh, fungally and bacterially produced compost, you're going to get a little bit better quality and do a little bit more for your soil. Okay. Well, yeah, and like you said, I didn't hit that lotto, so... <laughs> I'm sorry to hear that. I'm so hoping that, uh, you know, one of my friends will someday do that. Uh, I, I have to admit, I'm, I'm, there's an old joke about that with somebody, you know, praying and saying, why won't you let me win the, win the lotto? And uh, the Lord's voice comes down and says, do me a favor and buy a ticket. <laughs> And so, yeah, I, I don't think I'm likely to win it with the number of tickets I buy. But anyway, if it ever happens, uh, we'll, we'll buy a billion dollars worth of compost and the world will be a better place. There you go. Okay, Bob, I so appreciate it. <laughs> yeah, I appreciate you, Matt. Thank you, sir. Goodbye. Janie's up next. Good morning, Janie. Good morning, Bob. Been a while since I've heard your voice. Nice to hear from you and Happy New Year. I've been doing good. Yeah, Happy New Year to you, too. I was going to call you and... I forgot to call you and say Happy New Year. <laughs> <laughs> well, the feeling was there, I'm sure. What's okay. going on in your world? Okay, I've got a problem. Uh, I've got neighbors, a good friend of mine, but they put up private fence, and uh, the sun is facing east, okay? Okay. So now my flowers, are uh, they're not getting enough sun, the early sun, and... Uh, and by the time they get in the sun, it's like at 11 o'clock. Then I've got a huge pecan tree, and it just seems to cover it, and it gives it uh-huh. shade. So I'm wondering what to do to those plants. Do I give it more for, uh, food to make them bloom more? No, your fertilizer is not your energy source. Your sunlight is the energy source. But now, you know, the fence you can't do anything about. The pecan tree you could probably do a little bit of pruning on. I did uh, already. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, if you get sun from 11 o'clock on, uh, that's plenty of sun for your flowers to do well. And um, if if the pecan tree, and the pecan tree is just going to continue to grow and get bigger and ultimately what you will have to do is go with flowers that don't take as much sun you won't be able to grow the marigolds and the zinnias as well but you can grow beautiful begonias and periwinkles and coleus and uh they're just a world of beautiful flowers perennials like shrimp plant and plumbago uh, and several different salvias there are lots of good flowers that that grow in partial shade like that but you know extra fertilizer doesn't do a thing because it doesn't bring in the energy that the sun brings Okay. Now, I'll call you about my tangerine tree, my bush. Uh-huh. Okay. I know now that I didn't water it well enough uh, last year because of the way we didn't get no rain, right? Okay. Uh, I lost part of it. And part of it, like maybe 
two strange long roots, you know, long, and uh, mm-hmm. they, they got some leaves, okay? I'm just wondering, will I get anything out of that? You'll get, you'll get, uh, any, you know, anywhere you have, uh, you know, good new budwoods, you will get some flowers, you will get some tangerines. Obviously, you won't get as many if you've lost a part of the tree. But uh, now that you're back to watering a little bit more, that's one that probably would benefit from a little bit of extra fertilizer. It's going to grow and fill in. Uh, uh, you know, I recall here at our nursery, we had a pecan tree with a double trunk. We thought it would, uh, you know, likely split in a storm, so we totally removed half the tree. And the tree, you know, you just thought, my gosh, we just, we've lost so much. What's going to happen? That was a few years ago, and today that tree's bigger than, you know, it ever was. So your tangerine tree is going to come back. It's going to fill out with a little time and, you know, with a little bit of extra fertilizer and all. So, uh, I'm not going to do anything except just give it a good little good care. You'll get probably some fruit this year and more next year and more the following year. And then the year after that, you can open your roadside fruit stand and sell to everybody. No, I'm just, I don't have that many more years to go. (laughs) Janie, I I don't think so. I I wish I I, did. uh, Whatever your age is, I think think you're still young at heart. That's what will keep you going. Okay. Uh, my husband and I have, uh, in the front yard, has got this, I still call it carpet grass. Uh-huh, yeah. Okay, but it didn't do too good last year because of the weather. It got sure. a lot, uh, I still can see a lot of rounds where it didn't, it, like it dried, you know, a lot mm-hmm. of it. And I called to your nursery, and a lady answered, and she told me that there's a man called, uh, Sam, do you know him? That does, uh, he, does, does the yes. yard? Yes, his name is Sam Sitterly, and his business is called Green Grow Organics. And uh, he doesn't do things like plant grass, but he'll take care of the fertilizing and putting out the nematodes when necessary. But uh, uh, I'm going by memory, but I think it's right. I believe his phone number is, of course, 210, and I believe it's 275-8200. Okay. So actually all he does is tell us what we have to do to the yard, right? Oh, no, he'll... he'll if you want him to, he'll come put out the fertilizer. He'll come put out uh, beneficial nematodes, but he's not going to plant new grass for you if you need new grass. But he will he will actually do the fertilizing, compost tea, all the things that it will take to keep that, that grass healthier. Well... He's not really a landscaper. He's more of a he's more of a maintenance guy, and he doesn't require long term contracts. And he's been doing it for thirty years, and he does it all organically. So he's a good guy. Okay. Well, thank you very much, Bob. It's always nice to hear your voice, Janie. You have a wonderful Sunday. And long to call you. (laughs) I don't apologize. You lead a busy life, and uh, we have to stay in touch uh, in a nonverbal fashion sometimes. So uh, you get out and enjoy uh, enjoy the early spring weather, and we'll talk again. Thanks so much. Thank you very much. Certainly. Goodbye. All right, let me get a quick break in here. Mike and Chris are my next couple of callers. Let's see. I, I get to talk about the freeze miser. 
I don't know about San Antonio. We might be past our last freeze, but why take a chance? Up in the hill country, we're looking at potentially a freezing morning next week. I just love the freeze miser because I don't worry about my hydrants anymore. I'm like probably a lot of you. I used to go out when it was supposed to be really cold, drip the hydrants. That's what we all did to keep them from freezing. In town, had a problem more than once or twice when, uh, you know, I would drip them at 8 o'clock, and then at 9 o'clock, everybody else in the neighborhood started dripping theirs. Water pressure went down, mine stopped dripping, and the hydrant froze. Anyway, freezer miser is just a remarkable device. No batteries, no wires, nothing to go wrong electronically. It's a little device you put on the hydrant and turn the water on. No water comes out whatsoever, but if it gets really cold, and they use these things where it gets 20 below zero, but when the water inside the hydrant starts getting cold, when it might freeze and break, well, the faucet starts dripping automatically, and then as soon as it warms up, it stops dripping. There is no more water-efficient way to do this. You can put these on a water trough, and the water all drips back into the trough. You can do what I do, put my dog's water bucket underneath one of the hydrants, and that way anything that releases to keep the the faucet from freezing goes down in the dog water and uh don't waste a drop that way. These things are very, very reliable. They're very, very efficient. I'm a hydrant that I don't use in the winter months. I just put the freeze miser on, turn the water on, and stop thinking about it. The hydrants I use, I put a Y valve on there. Put the freeze miser on one side, put the hose on the other side. I don't worry about broken, frozen pipes and hydrants anymore ever since I learned about the freeze miser. If you'd like to read about them online, simply go to freezemiser, M-I-S-E-R dot com. Uh, you'll find them at great hardware stores. You'll find Find them at great nurseries. It's called the Freeze Miser. All right, back to gardening on this foggy morning out there. It's uh, it's but it's starting to feel like spring. You know, I me mean, this feels kind of like a Northern California morning where it's just uh, kind of a crisp enough to to really feel good, but just that that. The air is just almost liquid air, and you just have to know the plants love it. Unfortunately, so does all the ball moss, but <laughs> anyway, it is what it is. It's uh, early, late winter, early spring in South Texas, and there are lots of things to do. Let's see what Mike is up to. It's going to be Mike and Chris be my next two callers. Good morning, Mike. Good morning, Bob. Good morning, sir. i got a quick question. I'm uh, running a little late here for church, so I'll just ask it and hang up and listen to you on the radio to your response. Um, oh, okay. You, you mentioned wasps that are beneficial. Um, yes, uh-huh. What type are they, and how in the heck can you distinguish it from the other wasps? Okay, um, it's a pretty short answer if you want to listen, but uh, if you want to listen on the radio eight seconds later, you certainly can. Um, and the answer is really all wasps are beneficial because the big wasps, the ones that you know threaten us and sting us and things like that, uh, even those guys are good because they kill damaging caterpillars. The wasps that we intentionally put out are mainly the little tiny wasps called trichogramma wasps. They don't sting. Uh, you could put about six or eight of them on the head of a pen. They're very, very tiny, and they help us by parasitizing. They actually lay their eggs into the eggs of things like uh, webworms, things like the... Um, you know, the uh, case borer caterpillars, and they destroy the egg before it can turn into a damaging caterpillar. You buy these things, what you're buying, you're buying a little strip of heavy paper that has uh, several thousand wasp 
larvae developing inside of moth eggs on it. It looks kind of like a piece of sandpaper. You hang these out. Uh, I hang them on a little piece of monofilament line so the fire ants can't get to them. Little wasps patch out and they go to work stopping the, uh, you know, stopping the, uh, the, uh, everything from, uh, the case bearers to the leaf rollers to the webworms. And, uh, anyway, they, they're, people call them just called tea wasp because most people can't remember the name trichogramma but uh they're they're just very very tiny uh and they're totally different from uh, the bigger what we call paper wasps which are the ones that uh do a lot of good by by killing the adult caterpillars uh but the little tea wasps uh they go after the eggs so you never have to deal with the caterpillars to uh to begin with so uh the wasp family is big there are all kinds of wasps out there and um but the the little guys that I was talking about uh, are are very very small. There are some other little itty bitty wasps that will knock out things like white fly. I think that's specifically what we were talking about on the air maybe yesterday. But um, those little wasps aren't things that you can buy uh, in in a general uh, nursery. Uh, you might be able to get them from uh, what we call an insectary. There's one called Rincon vitora. That's uh, down in South Texas, and uh, there, there are many specialized parasitic wasps out there. But the main one that you're going to find in nurseries is going to be the trichogramma wasp, which we use to prevent caterpillars. So, anyway, there you have a little bit of information about wasps, uh, both beneficial and uh, well, they're all beneficial, but some of them are, are a little bit more threatening to us. Ah, let's move along. Talk to Chris. Good morning, Chris. Good morning, Bob. Um, my question is, I have a catnip plant, which is in a uh-huh. pot, um, obviously for the kitty, um, and it has those little white flies, and I okay. wanted to try to get rid of those. What you need to get, so it'll be totally safe for the kitty cat without, uh, you know, get rid of the white flies, look for a product called insecticidal soap. Uh, there's several okay. different brands of it. Uh, for a long time, the principal brand was one called Safers, S-A-F-E-R-S. But uh, there's more than one brand out there. And it's actually much more effective than uh, even the poisons are uh, at getting all three life stages. Because whitefly has an egg, a larvae, and an adult stage. And, uh, you know, if you're, and I know you wouldn't ever do this, but if you're spraying the crowd that some people spray out there, you'd only be getting one stage at a time. But insecticide soap uh, will totally control all three stages. You just have to be sure that you coat the leaves, especially the back side of the leaves. Uh, I turn that pot of catnip over on its sides and just sit there. It's not going to hurt you at all. So just with your hand, just sort of brush the foliage up and hold it up so that you can really coat the back side of the leaves. Probably need to do about two applications, and uh, white flies will be a thing of the past. Okay, perfect. And... Um how cold hardy is the catnip? Cold catnip is actually in the mint family. And, uh, in our climate, it's normally evergreen. If it freezes down, it normally comes right back out. I protect it when we're going to be close to freezing just because I don't want my kitties to have to wait for it to come back out again. Right. Uh, right. <laughs> and, you know, it's, it, we call them kitty drugs. <laughs> it's just right. funny watching the, uh, the effect. Not every cat, but most cats, uh, I, I know at one point we had a, a little bitty, 
uh, black kitty here at the nursery. We called him Ross because he had huge ears, and this was back in Ross Perot's day. And uh, Ross, every time we got any catnip in, he would get up and roll in the plants and just was a little hard on the plants. We actually had to build a cover to put over our catnip because it just drove him crazy, you know, trying to get into it. So uh, anyway, lots of fun. When you go looking for the insecticidal soap, you will also see a product called Spinosad soap, and that's the form of the insecticidal soap I use in the vegetable garden, and I use most other places. But since your kitty's likely to eat the, uh, you know, the the catnip, I would go with just a straight insecticidal soap, which will not bother your feline friends. Okay, okay, perfect. And do you carry that? We should. Uh, you know, I'd have to go look at the shelf. We sell a lot more of the spinosad soap, but uh, um, call back at 10, uh, and, and I'll get, or, and you can get one of the folks to run, look, and see if uh, we've got insecticidal, just straight insecticidal show, okay. soap on the shelf. We normally do, but uh, gosh, you know, as busy as the nursery business has been, we unfortunately run out of things, and I don't want you to make a special trip uh, and then not find it. So I think we do. If we don't, we'll have it very shortly, but call back at 10 and ask for Wendy or Donna or Pat or whoever answers the phone, and we'll check the shelf for you. Okay, perfect. And my last question is um, the trick of grandma wasps that you discussed with Mike. Yes. Um, when would we when would we put them out to get control of those little green caterpillars? <laughs> okay, great, great question. Um, you put them out according to, you know, which caterpillars you are targeting. Now, the caterpillars, uh, the little green caterpillars, they normally show up February, March. Uh, so yeah. I'd probably be putting your trichogramma out the end of this month. I think they're going to be available in about a week or so, but I would put them out pretty quickly. Uh, for the people who are targeting webworms in the trees, those guys usually show up about May or June, so we put those out April or early May. The uh, caterpillars that damage the pecans, the case bearers, those usually show up in early April, so we put the trichogram out in March to get them. They're not expensive, and uh, it doesn't hurt if you want to put out, you know, two or three applications average yard one little strip of them is enough to do the job for bigger areas i think they recommend four to five strips per acre so uh, unless you're on a very big piece of property it's this is not going to be a real big thing for you okay this is actually they they damage the catnip they just eat oh, okay. the heck out of it yeah okay well uh, again in that case you might possibly want to uh you know, spray with some BT, Bacillus thuringiensis, which will not bother you kitty cats, but uh, it uh, it has a little more lasting power, and uh, it will very definitely take care of the caterpillars. Trichogramma will be a good start on it, but uh, if they don't get 100% of them, then, uh, then spray a little BT around, and that'll take care of it without bothering the kitties. Okay, perfect. Thank you, Bob. Always a pleasure. Thank you for <laughs> for taking care of those cats. And uh, I know you're giving them drugs, but at this point, it's legal drugs. So uh, <laughs> right. have fun. Have fun watching their antics. Thank you so much. Thank you. Certainly. Bye-bye. Goodbye. All right. Uh, let's see here. Elaine is up next. Good morning, Elaine. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, I have lemons that are baseball, softball size, and they're wow. still on the tree. When uh-huh. should I take those off? I mean, they're not easy to pull. They're not releasing. 
Oh, you can you can pick them any time, and they are going to be good. The longer they okay. stay on the tree, the sweeter they are going to become because more sunlight, more sugar, more sugar, sweeter taste. And when they do release easily, that is going to be when they're right at the peak of perfection. And at that point, you may be fighting the birds and everybody else for them. But... Um, uh, you know, you can bet that every lemon you see in the grocery store was picked before it even started turning yellow. If yours are fully yeah. colored, they're going to be good at any point. But if you want, if you want the sweetest lemon juice you have ever had in your life, uh, wait until they release easily from the limb. But you certainly don't have to wait that long. Okay, and uh, deer found my lemon tree last year, so oh boy, it's missing quite a few leaves. Uh-huh. Uh, currently, it's inside a. Uh, one of those pop-up greenhouse things so they can't get okay. to it. Uh, anything other than fertilizer I need to do to help it out? High-power bullet is a real good uh, solution, but not always practical in the neighborhood, and you can enjoy some venison, too. Uh, there are sprays that you can use. Um, they all have a maximum life of 30 days, so if you're going to rely on uh, a spray such as uh, liquid fence to keep them away, you will have to reapply it periodically. Uh, realistically, you probably need to think about using a piece of cattle paddle or something like that to create a little bit of a cage around it because the deer can be very persistent when they're as hungry as they are right now. Yeah, they are really hungry out here. Okay, thanks a lot. You're certainly welcome. Thank you for the call today. Uh, Let's see here. Better get my last break of the hour out of the way, and then we'll talk to Mac and Mark. Right now, I get to talk about Medina, another one of my favorite topics. Uh, It's been about a week since we got our uh, most recent, what, 23 tons of it in. Uh, We love Medina products because they work so well for so many people, for so many plants. And, of course, Medina products work with nature. They don't work against nature. Your synthetic chemical fertilizers destroy the life in the soil and lead to many different disease problems. Medina fertilizers work with the life, enhance the life in the soil, and you have healthier plants with many fewer problems. Plus, they're slow release. Plus, you don't have to worry about burning with them. You know, you get on a day like this and put out a synthetic fertilizer, you burn the heck out of your grass or wherever you put products out. A good product like Medina's Growing Green, that'll never happen. You can put it out 365 days a year, a year, hot or cold, wet or dry. Don't fall for this gimmick that you have to use winterizer now and summerizer or something later. Get Medina's Growing Green. You can use it 365. And, of course, Medina also makes great liquid fertilizers. They make great biological products to soften the soil and they package the very best when it comes to things like orange oil and molasses and liquid seaweed but it has been right here in our area for over 50 years their products are used worldwide but i think they work best right here where they were developed if it says medina agriculture on the bagger bottle you know you're getting quality inside look for medina south texas gardening with bob webster is on the air news talk 550 ktsa and fm 1071 all right, back to gardening and back to the phone lines. It's going to be Mac, Mark, and Lisa, and Mac is up first. Good morning, Mac. Good morning, Bob. How are you? You know, it's just, uh, it's just. I, I'm going to quit calling it late winter and call it early spring. I know that's optimistic, but it's uh, just what the air feels like out there this morning. To me, it just has a, just has a certain energy to it, and I love the quiet. You know, when we get a morning like this. Uh, you're not hearing the birds. You're not hearing traffic nearly as much. Anyway, I'm doing great. <laughs> this is a great way to start the day as far as I'm concerned. 
No, glad to hear it. I love this weather. Spring crossed my mind a couple times this week, and I agree. It's, it's definitely early spring in, in South Texas. Um, Bob, I'm calling with my St. Augustine lawn in mind. This year and, and years ahead, or you know, I'm going to have the most foot. Tra- it's going to have the most foot traffic it's ever had, and, and paw traffic as well. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've, I've put down some growing greens uh, this week, and what else would you suggest? Um, I just want to put, you know, do all I can for for the lawn, and and this probably would done a question we may even talk about it before in the past, but um, I, I just I, I know it's going to need uh, all I can do for it with sure, the amount of sure. uh, traffic ahead. Well, just, uh, you know, the other thing that you could do would be a half an inch to an inch of compost. Uh, that mm-hmm. would be probably the single best thing beyond that. Just, you know, when you water, water thoroughly. Um, and I'm sorry I missed your puppy the other day. Apparently just missed you by minutes. They told me you'd come by the nursery. But, you know, one thing that you, that you have to think about, uh, if the dog is going to run a specific area, like it's, you know, runs the fence line, or if it has a general path, I know even my labs, when they run around my yard, they always run in the same spot. But sometimes it just almost pays to think about, you know, creating a, you know, a pathway for them it could be mulch it could be decayed granite and um there's come times when it come will come a time when the grass is just really really hard to maintain but you know especially um and i realize that you don't see that much anymore but people would have like a chain link fence along the backyard and there was just a a permanent rut back there where the dogs ran back and forth along the fence if you just you know create a mulched area or a decayed granite area for them to run on they're just as happy if they're following a given path but toughing up the grass fertilizer and compost so you see your two best things you can do Okay, I'm, I'm going to add that to the list, and uh, and, and Riley and I will will be back by in the coming weeks, I'm sure. <laughs> well, I look forward to seeing it. Uh, you know, just uh, dogs are a very important part of our lives. You would uh, you'd appreciate a T-shirt somebody gave me for Christmas that said, "The more people I meet, the more I like my dog." <laughs> <laughs> very true. That's that's a good point. Back you, you guys. Have a good Sunday. You do the same, sir. It's always good to hear from you. Thank you. And go- huh. Goodbye. All right. 45 seconds till news time here. So uh, hang on, Mark and Lisa. You guys will be up as soon as we get past the news. Let's tune the news out if you want to do what I do. But uh, you can find something else to do for three minutes. And then, uh, then we'll be back to having fun with things. And uh, I always remember what uh, Mark Twain said back in the day. You know, when newspapers were really our only news source. And remember, this is 150 years ago. Mark Twain said, if you don't read the newspaper, you're uninformed. If you read the newspaper, you're misinformed. So anyway, take that for what it's worth. And uh, let's focus on gardening today. And uh, we'll be right back. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. Talk to Bob now. 210-599-5555. Don't dial right this second, though, because every line's taken. We're going to talk to Mark and Lisa and Tom and Lester, and there'll there'll be another line available as we go through that list, and we start with Mark. Good morning, Mark. Good morning, Bob. Morning, sir. Well, a couple of the turkey toms have started displaying or strutting around already. 
Oh, my. <laughs> I think they're a little early, but, uh, you know, um, turkeys, uh, let's just say I'm glad that Ben Franklin didn't get his way because Benjamin Franklin wanted to make the turkey the national bird instead of the eagle. And somehow, oh, that might be appropriate today, but in general, I think the eagle has been a very much better symbol for us. And uh, turkeys are sure entertaining, though. Yeah, yeah. And our, our little canyon wren male has started singing a little bit too. They'll actually start building their nest in early February. Sometime. Oh yeah, the, the yeah. Wrens, so yeah, and 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 as they and as they raise those young, they start eating all those caterpillars and all those troublesome things, uh, you know, out there in the yard. So uh, it's right. you know not here yet, but it's just right around the corner. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, our interesting wasp tail. We the big orange wasp are the ones that are really painful aggressive yeah yeah they're we found them on the on the computer i think they call them alabama red or at least in alabama they do but mm. they're the they're the <laughs> ones that eat the most caterpillars so there's there's one year where i was extracting the caterpillars from the corn ears uh-huh and i would i would hold them with these long surgical tweezers with gloves on and, the, and I would feed them to the wasp. <laughs> and those, yep. and those, those wasps, would, it, it was actually really fun to watch them land on it and, and stab into those caterpillars. Oh, we had uh, one day we were standing out and we had one of those caterpillars that, uh, you know, comes down on that long silken thread hanging down out of the tree. And it was hanging there at yeah. about eye level. And all of a sudden, bam, this yellow jacket comes along, hits that caterpillar and makes off with it. And uh, wow. they're, you know, they're they're very interesting. The, the red ones yeah. are just so aggressive in late summer. You know, I've. There have been times when I've, you know, worked within and, you know, certainly a foot or two of the red and black wasps and the yellow jackets. And uh, if you're not moving aggressively toward them, they leave you alone. Those red ones, you get close to them at all, you're going to get you're going to get hit hard. So still not my friends. If they're not where if they're somewhere that I'm not going to come in close contact with them, I leave them alone. But boy, those are the ones that I don't tolerate uh, on my porch railings and things like that. The, the big orange ones have gotten accustomed to us. The first few years, they would attack us from a distance, and now they uh-huh. they'll just buzz right by us. It's interesting. But I anyway. I find that to be the case spring and summer, but somehow when fall comes around, in my experience, they just uh, they just get into a bad mood. But whatever, yeah. <laughs> you know, all part of nature. Right, right. So um, I know the answer, but I <laughs> thought I'd run it by you. So I planted Toscano kale. Uh-huh. And, and I've and I've been under this impression from just general reading that that it's very very cold hardy. I mean, most of them are a lot of them are called Russian kale, whatever types. Uh huh. Well, it appears that they're so so this year I didn't cover them. It appears that they got damaged, like they're not growing at all. Yeah. And in fact, at one point, that the little tiny tiny leaves in the center were yellow, like they'd been frozen one night. So is that, you know. Well, what has happened to us, Mark, is that just, you know, we have not had really consistent cold. And we've had some really, all winter long, we've had some really wonderfully warm days blended in. And we've had, you know, more than once when we went from being quite warm one day to quite cold the next. And uh, a lot of different plants, that you know, very few of them have actually been killed by the frost. But uh, it's not just the kale. I've seen it on spinach. I've seen it on chard. Um, and it, it, it's just more the weather pattern than anything you're doing wrong or anything that the kale's doing wrong. Now, uh, as the weather becomes more consistent, you know, kale, 
kale tends to grow slowly during the cold weather anyway, and then in that period between, you know, when spring really starts and when it really gets hot, it grows more in a day than it grows in a week during the winter months. So I wouldn't despair, but uh, you're looking at the same thing I think that virtually every gardener in South Texas is looking at this year, and it's just, it's the inconsistencies, it's moving from, you know, very warm to very cold very suddenly, and um, okay. things are taking a little hit every now and then. <clears throat> That last snow we had, we had two inches of snow, and it was covered with ice and snow for like 48 hours. But you know, still come out. Oh yeah, you know, snow is the greatest insulator in the world. Uh, If you're lost in the wilderness and um, it's you've got bitter weather coming, and you're in a point where you just need to hunker down for a while, you build yourself a snow cave, and you'll be just fine. But uh, yeah, snow's not a snow's not a bad thing at all. And and plus, when it melts, almost a hundred percent of it goes into the ground. So uh, I'm just as glad we don't have to deal with it. And seeing how people drive on foggy mornings, I just shudder to think how they drive on snowy mornings. But anyway, it's uh, you know don't give up on your cave. I think it's going to be fine for you. Okay. And you, you might want to make sure you've got the seed you need. I think there's shortage of some seeds. In fact, I couldn't get my pelleted carrot seeds. They're all out. Yeah, I've been talking about that for a couple of weeks. Right now, um, there there seems to be an adequate supply of seed out there, but I'd be willing to bet you that come uh, June or July, it's going to be real hard to find the things you might want to plant in the fall. And uh I still, unfortunately, have people that think you get your seed and you put it in the freezer, and that's not what you do. You put it in a, seal it up in a mason jar or something like that in the lower part of your refrigerator, and uh, it'll keep for, you know, for years that way. But uh, a lot of the common seed that we grow, you put it in the freezer, you're going to kill it. Yeah, yeah. And and it seems like the even the contender bean seeds are like three or four times as, as expensive as they were years past. You can go on Amazon and get 30 contender seeds for $3. Well, I I still go with uh, places like Botanical Interest, and it seems to me like the last I planted, there were about 50 seed in that package for $1.89, but... Uh, gosh, I remember yeah. years ago when I worked with Alton Grimm and people had come in and at that time the seed was 39 cents a package and somebody would look at it and say, right. wow, has this stuff ever gone up? <laughs> I still yeah, think it's right. one of the best values out there. Yeah, right, right. Okay. Okay, thanks, Bob. You're welcome, Mark. And do you have a good Sunday? And Lisa is up next. Good morning, Lisa. Good morning. How are you doing? I'm good this morning. It's a nice foggy morning out there. Yes, it is. Uh, I usually speak with you at your nursery, but I thought I'd save myself some, mo- some money because I can't seem to walk out of it. <laughs> <laughs> it's stuff. You've heard me say people compare us to the botanical garden all the time, and I tell them, no, no, the difference is easy. Botanical garden, you pay to get in. At our place, you pay to get out. <laughs> but, the, but you get the state stuff with you. <laughs> absolutely, so, absolutely. It's a fun spot. I'm calling about some gnats in my house plants, and I had I was searching the internet and I wanted to check out some remedies with you. Um, the first one was using hydrogen peroxide. I was a little leery about that because I thought it would kill all the microbial life in my soil. And you're probably and right. Thought, 
Okay. Yeah. yeah. There, there are two things. Those are called fungus gnats. Now, don't confuse them with the so-called sewer gnats that come out of your drains. Those we take care of with just a little orange oil down the drain. But it, your fungus gnat lives and breeds in wet soil. And quite mm-hmm. frankly, usually if you've got the gnats, it's a sign you're letting your plant stay a little too wet. And simply reducing your watering will get them under control. The 100% surefire way to get rid of them within a, you know, very few days. The same bacteria that uh, kill mosquito larvae also kill fungus gnat larvae, the, what we call the BTI, Bacillus thuringiensis israeliensis. And what you can do is get some form of BTI. It comes as a, a granule that they call mosquito bits. It comes as a little, you know, tiny donut looking thing they call mosquito dunks. But, uh, you get some BTI. If you get the dunks, you'll break the, the little donut into several pieces. But take your watering can, soak the bits or the dunk or whichever form of BTI you have. Now, it's not BT. The BT is a caterpillar killer. BTI is the, is the larval killer. Uh, just soak it for a few hours. Use that water to water your plants. The BTI will totally destroy the fungus gnat larvae in the soil, and with a few days, you'll never see another one. Perfect. Yeah, that was the other. That was the other internet solution I found was the mosquito bit. So, thank you. Awesome. But don't buy them off the off the internet. Go to a good nursery and get them there. <laughs> Not going to suggest which. We have we have many good nurseries, and I have many friends in the nursery business. But uh, uh, yeah, they're uh, and I will tell you, you know, just for information. Again, the bit, mosquito bits work fine, and that's probably what you'll choose. Uh, if you also need to put them in bird baths and uh, you know dog water dishes, I put them in my cattle water troughs and things like that. Uh, the little dunks. I like, but, uh, you know, they, they come two to a pack or six to a pack. They're much more economical at six to the pack, but, uh, and I just say this for the, you know, other 50,000 listeners or however many out there, for your purpose, you're probably just going to get a small container of the mosquito bits and it'll last you for the next 20 years. Sounds great. And maybe I'll see you later on today. Well, we everybody's busy unpacking a huge load of plants that came in yesterday oh, no. afternoon, so it may be dangerous. You may want to leave your credit card at home, but <laughs> you get out and have a good day, and if we see you, I'll look forward to it, Lisa. Thanks. See you later. Thank you. Okay. Goodbye. Oh, you got to have a sense of humor if you're going to live in this world, and especially if you're going to talk with us. Uh, let's see here. A quick break here. Uh, Tom and Lester are my next two callers, and I get to talk about Wild Birds Unlimited, another of my favorite things. I was just thinking I need to go by and see Kyle out there. Don't tell anybody, but that's one of my favorite places to do a little bit of Valentine's Day shopping because lots of people in my world love the outdoors, love birds, and love the kind of neat gifts you'll find over at Wild Birds Unlimited. You know, they have everything thing for the birder and always the best quality need a new hummingbird feeder with a built-in ant stopper need a new uh, bird seed feeder specifically for thistle seed man you're missing out if you're not enjoying the blackback lesser goldfinch and american goldfinch and the house finches that are around right now so colorful around the feeder and if you're buying your seed at the grocery store you're making a big mistake the seed you will find at wild birds unlimited is much fresher much better quality and they have special blends they actually your birds actually like a little bit different blend in the winter months than they do in the summer months and that's what you'll find at wild birds unlimited ask that kind of question most places you just get a dumb look but at wild birds unlimited they've got the suet cakes that the birds love this time of year they've got the winter blends of the seeds they've got the best ways to put out 
suet blocks or seed. Uh, they've got so many things, and they always bring in some real special goodies for Valentine's Day, and it's always a fun trip just to go by and see what's new. Kyle and his staff always welcome you. They're out on Southwest at the in the shopping center, of course, at the corner of Northwest Military Drive in Hebner. They're on the side there that faces Northwest Military. They're open seven days a week to serve you, and if you've got a specific question, give them a call. 210 area code, of course. It's 479-BIRD, B-I-R-D, for our friends at Wild Birds Unlimited. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster. News Talk 550 KTSA and FM 1071. All right, back to gardening. It's going to be Tom and Lester and Ray and Charles, and Tom is up first. Good morning, Tom. Good morning, uh, Bob. Say, got a, three quick questions. First one is we bought some property. And Congratulations. The and, the oak tr- and uh, I guess. Uh, anyway, the, the cedar <laughs> elm and the oak trees have uh, trumpet vines in them. And some uh-huh. of the trumpet vines at the base are about an inch and a half, two inches in diameter. I was okay. wondering, do I just cut them there and then let them die and pull them out of the trees? Because they're easier to pull once they're, they're dead and let, set for about six, seven months. That's exactly what I would do. That's exactly what okay. I would do. And um, keep in mind, are, is your new property, is it in an area where, uh, where there's very much oak wilt around? Uh, no. Okay, very good. I, I haven't seen any. I haven't seen any. Okay. The, the reason I was saying that is uh, when you get big old vines like that, um, you are, and you're pulling them out of the trees, invariably you're going to do, I hate to call it damage, but I'm just going to say you're going to break some little limbs, uh, dragging those big old vines out of your oak trees. Those spots would be potential places that oak wilt could get started. So I would suggest, you know, when it comes to pulling the dead vines out, if you can, do it in the middle of the winter, the middle of the summer. That's the times you're least likely to have a problem. Uh, if you love your trees like I do and want to be 100% safe, I probably would about a month beforehand, I put a lot, about a little uh, whole ground cornmeal around to build up, you know, a little bit of immunity to the oak wilt, and that's a whole other story. But uh, to answer your question, I, I do exactly what you're suggesting. I would carefully cut them off at the base, and uh, then as they dry, you can pull them out of the uh, trees without too terribly much trouble. Now, they're going to sprout back out again from the point you cut them off, but two or three cuttings back and they'll give up and die okay next question is uh ghost cactus and snake cactus has black spots and that is you know it's it's weather related believe it or not it's probably too dry uh not a serious problem those things will come right back out but uh, I've seen a lot of it around a lot of different places because even cacti suffer when we go long, 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 long time without rain. Um, I, I don't think it's anything to worry about. Okay. Uh, <clears throat> final question. Blood orange. Uh, it produ- uh, got lots of oranges on them, but some of them are dry inside, it looks like. And that's you need. You need, yeah, need to water a little bit more frequently. Uh, you can do, what we're looking for is juice that has a high sugar content. It's called the BRICS, B-R-I-X, if you ever want to read about it. You will raise the BRICS and you will make the, uh, 
the orange is more juicy with applications of things like liquid seaweed, using some of the rock minerals, rock powders uh, over the root system like lava rock, azomite, uh, things like that. But more than anything, a uh, little bit deeper, more thorough watering during the time the oranges are developing. You're not going to change them a lot at this point, but uh, they're probably they haven't reached full ripeness yet. And uh, so I'd be I'd be really really flooding those trees every couple of weeks, and I'd continue that through the growing season. I mean, there's there's not much of anything better than a blood orange, and uh, mm-hmm. you want to you, you want every one of them perfect. So through the dry weather, and we're meteorologists, not the weather clowns on the radio and TV, but the true meteorologists that I visit with uh, through the groundwater district, uh, we're probably looking at a minimum of another six months of really dry weather. So uh, you spend you know, spend a little bit of your water budget out there and uh, try to get that water three feet down into the ground instead of just on the surface. No problem. I appreciate your help, and uh, you have a good day. You do the same, Tom. Thank you so much for the call this morning. Ah, next up is going to be Lester. Good morning, Lester. Morning. Good morning, uh, sir. Yeah, I got a question. Uh, are the agarita berry bushes? Uh-huh. Uh huh. Oh, can you move them successfully? Only if they're very small. Uh, only if they're small. These are about two foot tall. Yes, sir. You won't have much luck moving those. By the time they're two feet uh, tall, they've got roots that stretch the next county. And it's just hard. You know, you've tried before, I imagine. They've got that yellow, you know, wood and root and things like that. And uh, if if they're beyond, really, if they're beyond about six inches tall, it's hard to get enough of the root system uh, to be successful in moving them. Now, you know, they'll be in bloom pretty soon, and you'll have lots of that purple seed by summertime. Uh, if you want to put them a bunch of places, collect some of that seed and start some little plants from seed. It's really pretty easy to do. But otherwise, just get out there and search around where they're sprouting up in nature. But but the little bitty ones are the only ones uh, that are really going to be successful. And uh, transplanting a bigger one can be a painful experience. And to go through that to transplant it and then have it just fold up its toes and die, which always seemed to happen to me when I was trying to transplant them, uh, it's just yeah. not worth it. Find the little ones. They grow pretty quickly. Can you germinate them seeds pretty easy? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Let them get fully mature on the plants, which might mean you have to throw a little bit of bird netting over them to keep from uh, the birds and things like that from getting them when they ripen. But uh, when they start to fall off, you collect them at that point, uh, plant them in just some good open soil, and you'll find they germinate pretty easily. I like to soak them in a little bit of garret juice. Some people will tell you the bird has to pass through an animal's digestive tract, but uh, I I think the apple cider vinegar and garret juice takes a, does the same thing that, uh, that passing through an animal would, and uh, I find just uh, you know a, a garret juice soak uh, they germinate pretty easily. Okay. Well, that answers my question. Uh, I was going to try to see if I could transplant them, but golly, dear. <laughs> Good <laughs> luck on that one, for. but uh, no, yeah. I just don't want to see you waste your time. I I'm pretty successful at transplanting most things, and I'm not successful at all at transplanting the bigger agaritas, even in deeper soil. So don't want yeah. you to get frustrated. Yeah. Okay. Well, I sure appreciate that, that Bob. Well, always good to hear your voice. Glad to know your New Year's off to a good start. And uh, yeah. let's see, we let's see if we can get Ray in here before we need to take a break. Good morning, Ray. 
real quick question here. Uh, regarding, yes, sir. Uh, the fungus on my on my, my grass, uh, I called you a couple of times, and of course, uh, you said please uh, cornmeal. Uh, right. It's hard to get down here, down in the valley, and it's hard to get cornmeal down here. So my son uh, sent me down a couple of bags, and uh-huh. I noticed the bags had fungicide with cornmeal. Yeah, yeah. Those are from a good company uh, called Nature's Creation. Uh, you see, garlic is also a fungicide, but garlic alone is not really enough to take care of the problem. Nature's Creation makes this sort of combination. There's a lot of cornmeal and just a little bit of garlic in there, but there's no nothing toxic, nothing added to it. Uh, it's just not everybody smart enough to equate cornmeal with fungus. So for people that aren't as smart as you are, they put fungicide on the bag uh, or fungicide cornmeal or whatever, but that's exactly what you're using. Uh, I'm surprised you can't find it at a feed mill or somewhere like that down there. But, uh, you know, any kind of corn, the only thing you really want to avoid is this stuff they uh, call enriched cornmeal, which isn't enriched at all. They've taken away a lot of things. So it doesn't have to be anything special, but your son got you some really good stuff in that uh, stuff that says fungicide with cornmeal. That's 99% cornmeal, 1% percent garlic and it's the exactly the product you're looking for right well good to know but uh one thing i did notice though was that i think you've said before to spread it on the whole yard so it all green up at the same time uh, and the directions it, it stated just just apply to the area where it's needed well, it's not really a, it's not a fertilizer. So, you know, it's not going to make your yard green up. It's just going to keep your grass alive so that your yard can green up. If the grass is greener where you put it out, uh, it's just simply because you got rid of the fungus and the grass started coming back more quickly. Uh, you'll never, it, you know, it hurts the bank account if you have to do too huge an area with it. But um, I tell people, treat the affected area and about a five or six foot radius around that. Uh, and if you've got enough, you want to treat the whole yard. There's nothing at all wrong with that. But uh, um, I would sure start out on the areas where you've had the fungal problem because get rid of that brown patch and your grass is just going to come out a lot better. Yeah. Okay. Well, I, I already used some a little bit, but I uh, ran out, so that's why he. And it is. It is coming up. It is coming up, like you said, yeah. told me here a couple of couple of weeks ago. Very good. So, um, yeah. So thank you very much. Uh, that's all I needed this morning. I appreciate the call, Ray. Hope you have a wonderful Sunday. We'll talk again. Certainly. Thank you. All right. Need to do a break here and talk to Charles when we come back. I get to talk to you about Dr. Mark Williamson, who's one of the neatest guys that, you know, I've known and met. I knew him when Dr. Staffel brought him in to uh, help with his dental practice. And now, you know, Dr. Staffel's gone on. But uh, Dr. Mark is just simply the ultimate when it comes to dental care. I don't know if you've noticed, but uh, the tradition in, in medicine or the trend in medicine and in dentistry is less and less attention. They're trying to see more and more and more and more patients. They're doing, they're outsourcing a lot of their work, believe it or not, to China for cheap crowns and things like that. That's not the standard that uh, Dr. Williamson demands in his practice. He practices friendly, comprehensive dental 
services of all sorts uh, in a friendly, relaxed setting. It's just such a different experience. Uh, you give Dr. Williamson a try. You just drop by his office and visit with Beth and the staff over there. Meet Dr. Williamson himself. You're just going to be feel like you've walked into a different world. And the quality of service, I don't know any dentist I've ever known who is more competent in a wide range of dental services. He had a patient was uh, been to a different dentist the other day that needed a tooth replaced and an implant done. The dentist that this guy had been going to was going to send him to an orthodontist first and then on to an oral surgeon. Anyway, he was going to send him to four different dental specialists over practically six months' time at very high cost to get this problem taken care of. Dr. Williamson extracted the tooth and put the implant in in one procedure and a short time after that put the crown on that was needed for a fraction of the price and a fraction of the time with no pain involved whatsoever. You know, there's just there's a great deal of difference in the quality of dental care these days, just like there is in just about everything else in the world. And if you're looking for a dentist that will be your friend as well as your dentist, if you're looking for a dental office that will accommodate your needs, I mean, if you've got dental fear, they do sedation dentistry. Uh, oh, and by the way, for qualifying patients, uh, you can get free teeth whitening for life if you go see Dr. Williamson uh, in the not-too-distant future. I just, you know, just good, good people that I've known for years, and I'm so happy to recommend to you. Offices is o- are over on uh, Cherry Ridge, uh, very convenient, near the corner of I-10 and 410. And uh, if you want to learn more, simply give them a call. Uh, call 342 342- Oh, gosh, one nine four nine three four two nineteen forty nine. I believe, is the number. I've known it for so long, and <laughs> sometimes just doesn't jump into my head. But uh, 210 area, of course, uh, and uh, I'm sorry, three four two five six nine nine. I believe, is the number. Look it up on the web. Dr. Williamson and Associates, uh, best dentist you'll find, most friendly office you will ever find, and the most competent dental care you will ever find. 341 2569 for Dr. Mark Williamson. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. News Talk 550 KTSA and FM 1071. Oh, yes, back to gardening. You know, when you do a radio show, especially you doing a remote like this, sometimes you have to be thinking about four or five things at one time. I apologize for, for stumbling over Dr. Williamson's phone number, but it is 341-2569. I know that very well, but uh, anyway, good guy. Let's get back to gardening here. We're going to talk to Charles and Kamala, and Kay are going to be your next three callers, and Charles is up first. Good morning, Charles. Good morning, Bob. Thank you for taking my call. Appreciate it. Thank you, you for calling. Thank you. Two quick questions. One, when is the right time to trim my Japanese boxwoods in my ligustrum? I like to do it just before they begin their growth uh, in the spring, which means you can probably do it right now. Um, if you're up in the hill country, you've probably got about a month to do it. If you're in San Antonio, you've got about two weeks to get it done. If you're in South Texas, you need to do it yesterday and today. So uh, the idea is when you prune at this time of year, they're not going to look shorn for very long. They're going to start regrowing almost immediately. We don't prune too early or we may force them into growth. And on boxwoods especially, ligustrum slightly less, you know, they'll freeze back and have to come out all over again. So I, I usually trim mine first second week of february oh great the uh, second question is i have a uh, live oak tree that i planted uh, it's about three years old about 14 feet tall but around the lower section of it is a grouping of uh, small green bushy uh, area 
trim that off and uh, seal it up or just leave it alone? You know, if it's coming out right down at the base, I probably would trim it off. If it's like, you know, little sprouts coming out up and down the trunk, um, what I do, when you think about it, everywhere you've got a green leaf, you've got a little sugar factory going on. And basically, when you've got foliage all the way up and down the trunk, you've just got every one of these little stems is sending sugar back into the trunk, which is going to make the trunk fill out, get stronger more quickly. And, you know, the the term that I've always heard used for that is trashy trunk. And it's not just the live oaks, but any tree. I think when it's a young tree, it's great to leave the little limbs up and down the trunk. I go in every winter, and I've got some cypress trees. I'll probably be doing that in the next week or so. I go in and cut them back to about six inches long because I don't want them to turn into major limbs. But I will leave that little bushy green growth all the way up and down the trunk until the trunk gets up to be about six inches in diameter, and then I'll go ahead and take it all the way off. But if this growth is focused mainly right at the root flare, right at the base of the tree, I go ahead and take that off. But the little sprouts up and down the tree, I leave them. I don't let them make major limbs, but until that trunk's uh, up to six inches or so, I feel like they really strengthen the trunk and help it to develop more quickly. Does that make sense? Sure does. I, I appreciate that answer. I also appreciate your, I remember once in a while quoting Mark Twain. And I used to use one of his things whenever I lost my conversation with my sainted wife for years. That's way to go well, with a woman is to let her have her way, and then I'd head for the door. <laughs> you know, I just I I enjoy quotes from from people from the past, and I think as frustrated as many people are, I mean I. I, I don't claim a political party. I do claim to be conservative. So I, I, there are not many of them I care for, but I love it in the fact that, you know, as upset as people are, this is nothing new. People have been thinking about this kind of thing because another of my favorite quotes of Mark Twain from way back in 18, whenever he, you know, was writing, but he said, uh, uh, and I've got this as a refrigerator magnet right here on the drawer of my desk. It says, he said, uh, suppose that you were an idiot and suppose that you were a member of Congress. But I repeat myself. <laughs> so hope that brings a chuckle to your world. That always does to me. It sure does. God bless and thank you so much for your show. Take care of yourself, Bob. Yeah, always a pleasure. You do the same. Always good to talk to you, Charles. <laughs> and I also love... Uh, and maybe I'm guilty of this sometime. Abraham Lincoln once said of one of his generals, he said, he can cram the largest number of words into the smallest idea of any man I've ever known. But anyway, we all need some humor in our lives. And between Winston Churchill and Mark Twain and, oh, gosh, W.C. Fields and all, <laughs> if you can't find something to smile at, uh, uh, you're missing out. Uh, Kamala's my next caller. Good morning, Kamala. Good morning. Good morning. Um, just a quick question, small number of words. Um, can I grab a ponderosa? <laughs> can I? I have a um, I have an old a sour orange. It's supposed to be a grapefruit tree that you know never. Uh-huh. Um, I mean, it throws off the top of it. So I've always sure. done it. I've tried a couple times, but I um, had gotten a ponderosa lemon from a yes, friend ma'am. and it's that uh-huh. big giant thing but i think maybe it's not a true citrus and so i'm wondering oh, no. whether i can graft it on you absolutely can graft it on now realize that you 
Yes, you can. Yes, you can. Realize that, you know, what happened with your grapefruit is that the rootstock is much more cold hardy than the grapefruit was. And putting that right. ponderosa lemon on there, that ponderosa lemon is not nearly as cold hardy as that rootstock is. In fact, ponderosa, beautiful big lemon that it is, is not even as cold hardy as a Myers lemon. So you're, you're going to be creating a tree that's going to need to be covered anytime the temperatures expect to drop very far below freezing but uh yes you can certainly graft a ponderosa onto the uh, sour orange rootstock that that grapefruit was on okay well what it i'm wanting to do like the cocktail tree um yeah because it's grown it's not just the base anymore um and so this is just one that i'm gonna try and it is from a san antonio tree so i'm thinking Uh that you know now would it be like because it's an old, because I'm using a rootstock which is already established, is it? Uh-huh. I know it's going to be you know less um, cold hardy, but would it would it need extra protection beginning like the like no. the younger trees or not? It no. wouldn't, right? No, the uh, it, you're exactly right. Uh, there are some trees that need extra protection when they're young, but then they develop more resistance to cold as they get older. Like this is true of many of the Mexican avocados, but it's not true of, right. of citrus. That that uh, oh, big beautiful lemon's okay. going to be just as sensitive 15 years from now as it is uh, the day that you do your grafting. So, but you know, it's worth the effort. Uh, I, I I I feel sorry for people. Uh, Greg Popovich has uh, been a friend and a customer here at the nursery for many years. And poor Greg, with his road trips with the Spurs, he loves lemons. And he would, uh, he would you know, get beautiful lemon trees, take great care of them, and then we'll get some really cold weather in that uh, rodeo road trip the Spurs would have to go on as trees would all freeze, and then it would have to come back and get more of them. So the person who travels frequently and has nobody to look after the plants, I'm not sure citrus is a good idea. These days, when none of us are getting on an airplane as often or traveling as much, <laughs> as long as you pay attention to Mother Nature and don't trust the weatherman completely, you're going to do just fine with your ponderosa lemon and you're gonna have a lot of fun with it too okay and if this january is any indication of the future we're not gonna have too many freezing days anyway but you know the problem with this and and you never know and i grew up with old timers talking to me about the uh the easter cold snap and I have yeah, to say, exactly. more years than not, we always get some cold weather around Easter, whether it's early, whether yeah. it's late. I haven't really looked at the calendar this year to see whether Easter's in March or April. But uh, we're not through with cold weather. But what I always feel when we get to this point is we're going to have more nice days than we do bad days. And, uh, you know, I'm an outside guy. Man, I'd, I'd, I'd live in a greenhouse and spend most of my time outside of that if I had the opportunity. But uh, I somehow... <laughs> take it from your humor and your interest that you probably feel the same way so you get out and enjoy you create that fruit cocktail tree and send me a picture of it someday okay okay i'll do that thank you so much thank you kamala appreciate the call (laughs) goodbye all right let's see here clock says i better do a break k is up next and uh won't take very long to talk about my friends at the tank depot you know it's just it's nice having a company you can rely on for just about anything you need in this world. And so many people are getting the rainwater catchment, which I applaud very, very much. 
and uh, you know you just you don't want to buy just any tank because I've known too many people that settle for the box store quality, and then a couple of years later they split, and people are saying, "Hey, how do I fix this tank?" You don't. You throw it away and you buy a new one because it's almost impossible to repair when you start with bad quality. When you start with good quality, like you're going to find at the Tank Depot, you've got tanks that are going to last you for many, many years. Whether it's for rainwater, whether it's for chemical storage, whether it's a transfer tank, whether it's an open-top tank, a bait tank. If you need a tank, you need to know about the Tank Depot. Check them out online today if you like it, tank-depot.com. You want to go see them, you can do that weekdays. They're over on Southeast Loop 410, just south of Rigsby Avenue, the Tank Depot. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster. News Talk 550, KTSA, and FM 1071. All right, back to gardening. My next three callers are Kay and David and Reeves, and Kay is up first. Good morning, Kay. Good morning, Bob. Good morning. I had a call last night uh, from a friend. He used to live uh, here in this in this house when he was a boy, and uh-huh. he comes he comes around every you know he helps out with different things, but he comes around and he, he always harvests the uh, pomegranates, and he asked last night if he could dig it up or dig up some of it and transplant it. And I'm sure, I don't know how long pomegranates live, but this thing's probably been here since the 30s or 40s, I don't know. And I I didn't think that was very wise at all. No, that, that that is not a good idea at all. Um, he can start cuttings from it, and it will be genetically identical, and will give him the same, you know, exact pomegranates. We're getting right to the end of uh, taking hardwood cutting season, so uh, he could get a pot of perlite, uh, take some tip cuttings from, you know, about the last maybe four or five inches of some of the branches, keep them uh, above freezing, not hot, but keep them above freezing, keep them wet. I would say at least 50% of them would root, and he'll have, uh, you know, brand new pomegranate. If he wants something a little more certain, but that he'll have to wait a little while to do when we get into warmer summer weather, not spring, but summer weather, you can actually put an air layer on a pomegranate, uh, one of those uh, branches coming up by stripping a little bit of bark off the side, wrapping it up with moist sphagnum moss, and then wrapping that up with uh, uh, aluminum foil or plastic wrap or something like that, and actually allowing that piece of the uh, trunk or the piece of the limb to form roots before you cut it away from the mother plant. Uh, you probably want to Google that and see exactly how an air is spelled. It's A-I-R-L-A-Y-E-R. And uh, that will certainly work to make a new pomegranate from an existing plant. But uh, he can't split the base and uh, a tree that big. You know, he'd have to have a you know a backhoe and a crane to move it successfully, which I wouldn't uh, wouldn't even consider letting him do it. Yeah. Okay. With the um, with the perlite, do you leave that outside in the yard, or do you have that inside, or what do you do? I would leave it outside in a shady place. I would probably water it daily. Um, if the temperature is going to get significantly below freezing, uh, then I would bring it inside. But, you know, 35 degrees, uh, not going to be any problem to it at all. It's going to take about six to eight weeks for it to root. 
And uh, like I say, the majority of the cuttings will root. Uh, my early career, I was responsible for doing about two and a quarter million of those things a year uh, for a big wholesale growing operation I worked for briefly. So I can tell you it works. <laughs> and uh, okay. but I would I would take a number of cuttings um, because only probably about fifty percent of them are going to root for you. Okay, and you say five, four to five inches. And that's yeah. off of the tips, right? Yeah, off the tips of the branches, uh, not where there was fruit, but where there were just leaves, and uh, okay. stick it down so maybe two inches of that is down in the perlite. If you want to soak it in a little dilute garret juice or soak it in a little liquid seaweed, uh, either of those products seem to speed up the rooting. Okay. Sugar, I just for maybe. hey, I'll buy you a wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> if well, I did that, what... Is now the time of the year to do it, or or when do you, would you plant one? Well, I always, you know what I say, the best time is five years ago, but the second best time is today. Uh, pomegranates are one thing that you can plant them 12 months out of the year when, you, when you're when uh. you just transplanting them from a pot into the soil. There's there's no good time or bad time. I just always figure the sooner the better. It all comes down to availability. Many nurseries will not have them in yet. That's something that usually starts showing up from the growers uh, sometime around the 1st of March. But uh, if you find one, nothing at all wrong with planting it now. All right. Okay, thanks Thanks for all your tips. And if he's just interested... <laughs> well, I appreciate that. Um, you know, and, and if he's just interested in having a pomegranate, by all means, get him one. If there's some sentimental value to this tree for having been, you know, in the family, so to speak, for so long, then uh, he can certainly, you know, grow it from a cutting or an air layer either way. But if he just wants a bunch of pomegranates, yeah, uh, just buying a wonderful would be a, a very generous thing for you to do. All right, I'll I'll see what he wants. <laughs> Sounds good, Kate. Thank right, you so much. You, Bob. You're welcome. Bye. All right, next up is David. Good morning, David. Hello, sir. Hi. Uh, I got a couple questions for you. I recently bought some property in Comfort, and the property. Congratulations. Used to be a, <laughs> thank you, sir. The property used to be a hay field where they raised uh, Sudan hay, and. Okay. Uh, it's a it's really a mess right now because I guess uh-huh. it's been let go the last couple of years and there's not that much grass on it. It's mostly weeds right now. Sure, uh, sure. The Johnson grass has come back, a ton of thistles, pretty much any weeds you can think of um, uh-huh. is growing out there. And, and my my question to you, what's the best way to manage that is to like get a, a nice pasture back without having to well, uh, use a really uh, you know there. The people produce two different kinds of hay. Many people, you know, grow a perennial Bermuda called coastal right. Bermuda and yeah, the hay, the field kind of takes care of itself. Sudan right. is a higher quality hay and it has a lot more nutrition in it, but it involves yeah, plowing every year. And when you plow, right. you bring up all your little friends that you're seeing there right now. Um, yes, is it is it your intent to establish just a good native grass out there, or are you planning at some point to produce more hay from that field? It, if we were to do hay, it would probably be on a small portion of it. It's, it's 20 okay. acres, and so it would probably be ah, like a okay. five-acre track you may do a little hay on or something. <laughs> yes, sir. Well, what, what I would do is basically shred, 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 shred. You know, uh, most of the weeds we have out there, whether it's thistles or sticker burrs or whatever else, mm-hmm. Uh, they're basically dead, but the seeds are alive, and there's no way to right. kill the seed except perhaps burning, and you don't have enough uh, bulk there to really burn. So right. I'm gonna I'm gonna concentrate on planting some native grass. Um, 
you could go to Douglas King Seed, and they have a hill country mix, or you could go with, uh, there are actually uh, uh, a couple of native seed companies up in Junction uh, that would have a native seed mix. And um, you could, uh, you know, you could go ahead and plant that really pretty much at any time. And then it's just a matter of pray for rain. Uh, if you wanted to go all out, you could call, you know, Fred Morales that you hear me talking about with Morales Feed. They've got a place up in Lakey. Fred can actually blend the seed into, you know, a, an organic fertilizer at a very reasonable price. And he could come in and actually put down fertilizer and seed at the same time for you or he could put it in a spreader, and then, you know, you could do the work of spreading it. But at this point, chemicals not going to help you. I would definitely stay away from synthetic fertilizers. And uh, you will find, and, and I had a field that I that I used to grow Sudan for my cattle in. And let me tell you, the first couple of years after I got too busy to grow and bale hay, it was the yeah, biggest sticker or patch you've ever seen. Yeah. Planted native grass seed, and within two years, I had zero thistles, zero sticker oh, burrs, and a nice stand of uh, grass that I could graze. So uh, I'm telling you from experience, not from what a book says. Okay, so a native grass seed, and just let it uh, just keep shredding, and it'll take care of itself. Yeah, keep shredding it down, and like I say, more than anything, pray for rain, because that's what it's going to take to really get it established. And uh Mother Nature hadn't been too kind to us, uh, you know, in that uh, in that regard. But you can try Pan American seed, or I think it's Native American seed. But I got mine from uh, Dean Williams at Douglas King Seed here in San Antonio, and real good seed, real reasonable price, and he can actually ships to your door if you don't want to drive into town. Oh, that's awesome! Uh, another question: uh, We're building a house. David, let, right let me do this, David. Let, let me do this. Let me get Chris to put you on hold because I'm right up against a news break, but I want to get that other question in. So hang on just a minute. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. Talk to Bob now. 210-599-5555. All right. Just past 10 o'clock and... Uh... We're talking gardening, and uh, uh, let's see here. We're going to add Margaret to the list, so it means we've got one line left open. So uh, grab it if you like, 210-599-5555. And we will be talking to uh, David a little bit more about the, a little bit more on that new piece of land and then to Rees and to Margaret. Uh, back to David for a moment. Go ahead and give me that other question, David. Yes, sir. I have a question about uh, planting some trees. What's the best? A shade tree to plant around a new house um, that's going to grow fast and it's going to last a long time. (laughs) Okay. You know, um, my old buddy, mentor, good friend, Alton Grimm, used to always tell me there's no such thing as a good plant or a bad plant. Every plant, every tree out there has good characteristics and bad characteristics. So tell me how much soil do you have. Are you sitting on a slab of rock? Or are you sitting on where you have lots of dirt and rock mixed together? What what kind of soil are we planting into? It's it's mostly uh, soil. It's kind of a clay okay. soil, but it's it's close to kind of close to the river there, that real river okay. bottom soil. Yeah. Well, you're you're in good shape then. Um, there are very fast growing trees, which are reasonable quality trees. Top of my list is uh, probably Mexican sycamore. And I'm sitting here looking out at the window of one that's probably 10 years old and probably 50 feet tall. And wow. uh, 
they're not super long lived, probably 50, 60 years, but that mm-hmm. may be plenty for your purposes. And um, they do take a little bit of extra moisture. That's why you see them growing down along those creek beds and river bottoms and things like that. So um, you might think about planting a couple of Mexican sycamores just because they're going to give you more shade more quickly than just about anything else. Other trees which will do well and grow at a reasonable rate of speed are things like cedar elm, uh, the Monterey oak, also known as uh, Mexican live oak, Mexican white oak, properly called Quercus polymorpha. Uh, that is a tree that is not real susceptible to oak wilt problems, and okay. it's a relatively fast-growing tree, so uh, it's a good oak to plant. little slower growing, but very good quality tree is going to be a burr oak. Uh, another tree that will grow very well in your deeper soil areas uh, uh, is called a Lacey's oak. Uh, it's not doesn't refer to the foliage. It refers to an old German naturalist named Lacey that uh, identified it and named it many years ago. It's one of the prettiest trees on my property. It doesn't grow up on my hills, but in my deeper areas where I have deeper soil, uh, it is just an absolutely gorgeous tree. Another tree that is sometimes a little bit hard to find, but escarpment cherry is a, another very good tree for the hill country. It's not going to give you edible fruit, but it's a tough, hardy native tree. And those are all things that would be shade trees. Uh, lower things, uh, of course, you've got things like mountain laurel. I'm very fond of Mexican buckeye, pretty pink flowers in the spring, and brilliant yellow foliage in the fall. And um, if uh, they're a little hard to find, but uh, the... Uh, uh, maples, the, uh, the big tooth maple, which is the one that grows over, uh, where, you know, around the, uh, state park. Um, yes, not gonna make a shade tree, and it doesn't have the red, beautiful color that you see in the New England maples, but it's a tree that'll do very well in your comfort area. Awesome. All right. Well, I appreciate all your advice, and, uh, thank you for your show. I can promise you that boredom is not going to be in your vocabulary for the next 10 years <laughs> with everything you've got going on. So good luck with it, and you call any time we can help and advise. Thanks, Thanks David. Thank you, sir. Goodbye. All right, Reese is up next. Good morning, Reese. Good morning, Bob. The previous caller was asking you about the shade trees. I wish yes. I had taken that call. <laughs> I would have advised him for Monterey Oak and Cedar Elm. Those two are uh-huh. my favorite ones. Well, I, I totally property, and I uh-huh. planted all these trees in there too, you know, and they are enjoying the shade, the the tenants. And the best part about Monterey oak is they drop their leaves about February, the end of February, and immediately they put on the new growth. <laughs> That's right. Yep. Right. And, and my husband used to mow all those leaves because we have four in the backyard. Uh-huh. But one of the person who came to spread the uh, compost. He said mm-hmm. we are mowing too many leaves. It oh, chokes no. the grass. Is that true? No. It, uh, no. you know, and your husband's doing exactly the right thing, chopping them up into smaller pieces. And, uh, uh, you know, Monterey Oak, uh, I love that tree. It's just uh, if he was looking for something faster growing, that that would be, you know, on my my top of my list of what I would call moderate growth rate, growth rate trees. But um, I, it's hard for me to imagine, you know, it being too much. If we just had a bumper leaf crop somehow, I would mulch them and then maybe, you know, rake, throw some of it up under the bushes in the flower bed and things like that. But uh, uh, Mother Nature knows best, and she's been doing it for a long time. So, uh, no, if they're... 
you know, if you've got a good mower that can chop them up fairly finely, it's just uh, just almost like putting compost on the yard. Correct. And my other question was about the tomatoes. I love uh-huh. celebrity, you know. But besides yes, celebrity, I would like to plant something else, like maybe lemon boy. Lemon boy is a wonderful yellow tomato. Uh-huh. You could also look at uh, Cherokee purple. Okay. Cherokee purple, which is uh, one of these tomatoes that has lots more anthocyanin in it, and a lot of people will tell you that is even even healthier. Um, the problem with so many big fruited tomatoes is they start they stop producing when the weather starts getting hot. There's a medium large tomato called Arkansas Traveler, and that one produces later in the summer than most others do, uh, you know, who knows what the world's going to be. But years past, if anybody invites me to a 4th of July party, they always say, bring some tomatoes. And Arkansas Traveler is the only tomato I have left that's still producing in the big tomatoes, you know, by the 4th of July. So um, if you're looking for one that will produce a little bit later into the summer, uh, Arkansas Traveler would be a good one to look for. Okay, but I like to plant something that will keep producing maybe until the end of fall. Well, then you're going to have to plant nothing but cherries because all of your big fruited tomatoes, when the nights get hot, the plants, the tomato plants just don't set fruit. They will continue to grow if you care for them and they will make a new crop of tomatoes in the fall. Uh, but your big fruited tomatoes, they, you're just not going to find much that's going to give you fruit in July and, uh, well, or late July, August, September. But that's why I always plant a few, uh, a few of the sun gold, a few of the sweet 100s, a few of the Juliets, because those guys don't pay any attention to nighttime temperatures and they set fruit, uh, throughout the whole season. Okay, and I've also heard you say to plant it in full sun. Yes. How about if they get afternoon shade, Bob? Will they still do good? Because summer gets very hot here, you know. The plants <laughs> get all stressed out. Well, they uh, if they get a little afternoon shade, uh, you just won't get quite as many tomatoes. Mm. Uh, what I like to do is go ahead and plant them in full sun, and then when that really stressful summer hits, then I can always put a little insulate, or I can always do something to get a little bit of shade over them. Uh, my bigger garden, I actually built a you know a, a pipe frame, three-quarter inch iron pipe, and I can stretch a piece of shade cloth up over them uh, for July and August when that sun is just so intense. But the problem is if you if you have them in shade all the time then you don't get enough sunlight to get you know really good spring production and fall production you just you just slow down the production and you slow down the sweetness of the tomato because you're not producing exactly. as much sugar so my my recommendation if possible is plant them in the sun and then find a mechanism to give them a little bit of shade in that intense part of the summer okay that's a good idea Okay, Bob. That's all I had. Thank you so and, much. I enjoyed it. And Chris and I, <laughs> well, Chris, Chris and I were talking about you yesterday. As a matter of fact, and we were just talking about among our many friends who have recognizable voices, and uh, we agreed that you're our favorite person for a recognizable oh, voice that calls the show you know <laughs> regularly. One day I went to your nursery, and I uh-huh. think it was Donna or Pat. I can't remember the name. She said, "Were you on the show today?" I said, "Yes." <laughs> 
You know, garlic is one of those things that really doesn't ripen, per se. So you can actually harvest it at any point. Um, if you want it to be fully divided, you know, into the little cloves and be as big as possible, then the time to harvest it is when the foliage starts to brown and fall over, which is typically about June or July in my garden. But... Okay. Um, uh, that's unusual because, uh, not many things go after, you know, the garlic foliage. There are a couple of caterpillars out there that will, and you can, of course, control them with uh, BT, uh, as we do most types of caterpillars. But, uh, there's, you know, garlic's gonna be flavorful, and, uh, if you're harvesting, harvesting it to use for something like garlic pepper tea, or as an aphid spray or something like that, then you've got nothing to lose. Do it whenever you like. For culinary purposes, uh, it would be nice to be able to leave it in, in the garden until the tops actually uh, turn brown and fall over. Okay, because uh, whatever it is, actually digging it up from the... Mm. I'm thinking it's a squirrel, maybe. It I could know. be. A squirrel issue. <laughs> Oh, well, <laughs> bushy-tailed tree rats, as I call them. <laughs> mm-hmm. Not everybody appreciates that. But um, do this. Uh, next time you're at a good nursery, pick up a bag of blood meal. Blood meal is a very good fertilizer, and it has a little bit of an odor to it. I would never put it on my house plants, But uh, it is an odor that squirrels, raccoons, possums, even armadillos do not like. And uh, they will generally not dig. They will not go around plants that have blood meal around them. And secondarily, you're putting out a good fertilizer when you put out blood meal. So uh, I might try some of that around your garlic and see if you can solve two problems at once. Okay. And uh, Turk's cap and Queen's crown, when do I, do I cut them back now or do I wait? Well, I would tend to, I'd probably give it another three or four weeks. Now, how how thoroughly, how completely has your Queen's crown frozen? Um, it's almost down to the ground. Okay, uh, that's what mine and Bernie is, and it's ready to cut back any time because, you know, with Queen's Crown, all of that, uh, all that viney part is already dead. So it's kind of like cutting right. your hair or cutting your fingernails. There's, there's no good or bad time. You just cut it off whenever you're ready. But, uh, here in San Antonio, uh, some of our Queen's Crown here at the nursery is still green and blooming. So, um, if it hasn't frozen back, uh, I would say the ideal time to do any trimming you need would probably be mid-February to early March. But if it's if it's frozen and brown, go ahead and cut it back right now. Now, Turk's cap, um, again, I would kind of go a little bit by how it looks. And remember that uh, when you cut your Turk's cap back, you're going to stimulate new growth. And we don't want to have a lot of tender new growth coming out when we're still likely to get a freeze and when that new growth could freeze back. So I am thinking about, I've got both pink and red and Turk's cap in my yard. I'll be cutting that back probably around Valentine's Day because it takes about two weeks after that before it starts to sprout out, and by then we're probably going to be beyond the danger of a hard freeze. So uh, you can trim it lightly if you need to, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cut the Queen's Crown today. I'm going to put the Turk's cap off in for about two and a half weeks till around Valentine's Day, and that's when I'll be cutting that along with my thrialis, along with uh, some of my salvias and other things that need to be trimmed. Okay, and when I do... Um cut them back how far do i go because uh, the, the turks cap is was really leggy last year 
Yeah. You cut them back to the point you want them to branch. From your description, I would guess you're going to cut it down to about six inches tall. But you be the judge because it's going to, when you, what happens when you cut off the top of a plant like that, it starts concentrating the hormone that makes the buds break and grow. And so you've cut the top off, that stuff is still coming up through the plant as they say the sap rises. And then it just starts concentrating at the cut point. And that's why the buds that break and grow will be the three or four buds that are below that point. So whatever point you would like to have your turks cap branch and come out cut it just above that point okay and um back to the queen's crown i do have a white one which is growing up a fence uh-huh. and that one hasn't browned out it's still green it's not flowering but it's green okay you've got a choice uh you don't have to cut it back at all if you want a i mean if it doesn't freeze if you want it to be twice as big and the white form is usually a little bit wimpier grower than the pink. Uh, it's yeah. At least some strains of it are. So if you would rather have more of it and have it over a bigger area, if it doesn't freeze, you don't have to cut it back. You're not helping the plant in any way by cutting it back. So just leave it alone. If you say, well, it can get kind of out of hand, then I do your pruning around Valentine's Day. Cut it back if you need to or do... You know, I love the humorous Bill Bryson, and he used to talk about his haircut as a bit of a tidy-up in his English mm-hmm. fashion. So I'm big on a bit of a tidy-up on a few plants here and there without really doing a lot of severe pruning, and that would be fine to do pretty much at any time. But there's no mandate that you cut it back at all. If you want it to be blooming sooner and bigger by the end of the summer, just let it go. Okay. And my last question is a citrus question. I have Myers okay. lemon and a satsumi. And mm-hmm. satsumi, I get, I get flowers, but then no fruit. The fruit just gets, it gets real small and then it falls off. The Myers lemons, I had that since about 2014. I only got lemons once. Okay. Uh, are you, do you, you get flowers on both the Myers lemons and on the satsuma, but just no fruit set? Correct. Okay. You're, you're lacking pollination. Uh, if it's not a late freeze, which you wouldn't expect year after year, it does happen. Happened last year. A lot of people got, uh, less fruit because we, we had a freeze after the, a lot of the fruit had already set. But if you're getting blooms, but not much, uh, fruit, it's just a lack of good pollination. You need to either do something to encourage more bees, like, you know, planting some very fragrant flowers like sweet alyssum and, uh, you know, some of the things that really tend to be bee magnets. Or you need to get yourself a little small artist paintbrush and get out there and start dusting it around inside the flowers uh, after the flowers are two or three days open and do the pollination yourself. Um, yes, that's what I, I would, we did the one year we got all the lemons. Yeah, sounds like... sounds. Yeah, sounds like you've just got an issue with not as many bees, and unfortunately, that's getting to be the case in a lot of places. Uh, um, I had a lady buying a uh, something interesting yesterday, and it's something called a mason bee hive. And uh, in addition to honey bees, especially if you're you know out toward the edge of town or in a rural area, but you know even in many neighborhoods, we have these things that are called mason bees or cedar bees or they go by a lot of different names and they are solitary bees they don't live in colonies the way that uh, honey bees do and uh, they are probably actually far better pollinators than the honey bees are and their 
place their way to reproduce in nature is uh, they take mainly a dead tree. They have a fondness for our old hill country juniper, uh, ash juniper, but they actually chew their way. They make a bore a hole into the old uh, junipers, and then they lay their eggs inside of that. If you're at a good, I imagine they have these things out at Wild Birds Unlimited. I imagine you're bigger and better nurseries probably have them but they they make we do uh they make something that looks like a stack of soda straws one on top of another glued together and you hang these things out in a shady area and we have about 20 different species of mason bees in this area and you'll know they've gotten active when you go out and all of a sudden you see a lot of these uh a lot of little tubes are getting plugged up and uh, that's the mason bees laying their eggs inside and then covering it with a very thin covering of mud to protect the egg until it can hatch. And uh, this is just something long-term that you could get more pollinators into your garden even if you don't draw in the honeybees. So attracting more mason bees will be a, a, a fun thing to do overall. But this spring, I think you're probably going to need to get that paintbrush out and uh, you be queen bee yourself. And would you put that um, for the mason bees by the, the plants that you want pollinated? Oh, they're they're going to find their way around. I would put it. it within I'd put it within fifty or hundred feet of them, but it doesn't have to be hanging. I mean, it could be hanging right next to them. That's fine, but uh, mm-hmm. it just needs to be hanging in the shade. And uh, I always, uh, you know, will put a little glob of Vaseline or Tanglefoot or something like that, or else I will hang it. Uh, you know, from a piece of uh, monofilament fishing line or something like that, because fire ants can be an issue with a lot of different things. Not usually a problem with mason bees, uh, but uh, sometimes you might want to, you know, if you have an issue with fire ants, you might want to do something like that to protect them. <laughs> I'm, I'm sitting here looking out the back window of my office, and I'm looking at a bunch of wind chimes with small tubes. That's where we see the most of them around uh, the nursery, is all of a sudden the wind chimes aren't making any noise, and you go and look, and they plug up all the little tubes uh, in their egg-laying fashion. So uh, they're interesting creatures. They're non-stinging. Um, there are also some very large ones. I don't know if you've ever been in our seminar area. We're, of course, not able to use it with all the COVID restrictions now. But we get the bigger cedar bees that actually will bore holes that are five-eighths of an inch in diameter in some of the old uh, rough cedar beams uh, that we have. Not a, not a problem. Not going to cause any structural loss of structural integrity. But uh, bringing in some mason bees is, is just always a fun thing to do. Okay. Well, thank you very much, Bob, and you have a blessed day. You do the same. It's always a pleasure visiting with you. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye. Goodbye. All right. Let me do my last uh, my last live commercial of the show, and then we'll talk to Sandra and Frank and Sue. Uh, I'm sorry, Sandra and Frank and Bill. Um, I get to talk to you about Rhonda's Nature's Way. I was in Rhonda's Nature's Way yesterday. I love that lady, and I love Rhonda's Nature's Way because she is so dedicated to helping people live better lives. And ask yourself, have you ever thought, gee, I wonder if I can feel better? I wonder, you know, a lot of things are going well, but I've got some aches and pains. Talk to Rhonda about it sometimes. She has all sorts of 
really incredible products and, uh, you know, things that will simply keep you healthier. I take an immune support formula. I feel like that is the best thing I can do to try to help ward off uh, problems with COVID and, for that matter, uh, colds and flu and other things. Uh, she has things like the curcumin, the French grape, grapeseed extract. Those are thought to be the two best natural medicines in the world for all sorts of things, basically reducing oxidative stress. If you have issues like sleep issues or digestive issues or maybe mood issues, they're natural things. You don't need to run to get a prescription from the pharmacy for these things. They're natural products that will probably work better for you. Rhonda can help you with your own individual situation. It's very, very much one-on-one help when you go see Rhonda's Nature's Way. She also offers light therapies, red light therapy and beamer therapy, which the medical community approves of very highly. At the Northside store, they do. she does reflexology, an incredible experience if you've never tried that. And then plus just your vitamins, your supplements, things like that. Hers are just a better quality, the greater potency, better tested than the things you're going to find at the chain pharmacies and the grocery store shelves. I love Rhonda's Nature's Way, and I love Rhonda, and I feel like I live a, a better, more fun life because of her. Uh, both stores are open Monday through Saturday, closed on Sunday. Southside stores on Southwest Military. Northside stores out there in the shopping center at the corner of I-10 in Callahan. Give it a try. If you think you might feel better... Why don't you go see Rhonda? She'll help you get there. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster. News Talk 550 KTSA and FM 1071. All right. Back to gardening and back to the phone lines. Give me Sandra and Frank and Bill. And Sandra's first. Good morning, Sandra. Good morning, Bob. I have an observation, a question, and a gift for Howard. Very good. I like all three. Yes. Um the um when the drought conditions had been present a while i observed on other people's trees leaves dropping off at the tips mm-hmm. and then later on our mature live and monterey oaks for example you know large ones like 12 inch diameter uh they uh-huh. begin to scrap leaves on the lower mature trunk all the way down to the ground level so i thought uh-huh. it was a drought response but as a student of david bond we had a trunk flare exposed. We had a water well and, of course, organic. So after extensive deep watering, those stubby leaves, uh, leafy stems just dropped off. Really? Yep. That's very interesting. It's, it's you know, plants are... Plants are, you know, have evolved over a long period of time, and it's amazing how adaptable they are and how when we make conditions right, uh, how problems or questionable things seem to go away. So I hope you enjoy David as much as I do. That man is such a wealth of knowledge. He is amazing. He, I have been a student for, I don't know, 10 years or so. Of, uh-huh. Uh, of, um, he, you know, used to come out to the house and do... Uh, visits you know with us when he still works for us right right very good okay my question is um i want to have built a large raised bed approximately four feet by 15 feet and about three feet high Uh, okay what what do i do after i get the sides built what do i fill it with what layers do i put in well you know if you can blend things up rather than layering things, um, it's always, always better. I, 
uh, you know, for if you're going to have to go out and buy soil, uh, I still think Stone and Soil Depot probably has the best product out there. If you have places where you can, you know, start with native soil, then the main things I'm going to be adding are compost and some of the rock minerals like uh, azomite. Azomite's really amazing stuff, and I think it's becoming more and more widely available. Uh, but it's, gosh, got just an incredible array of micronutrients available. But, you know, the the rock powders, the kind of things that Phil Callahan used to talk about and that Howard still does talk about. But uh, if you if you have, yeah, and Malcolm as well. Oh, boy, we miss Malcolm. But, uh, you know, starting with, with a basic loamy soil, you know, compost and the rock powders are the main things you need. Uh, but if you're going to go out and buy soil, uh, I still recommend non-biosolids mixes. And uh, just as a general rule, I, I think Stone and Soil Depot usually has the best quality that I have found. Okay. Excuse me. Um, I also read somewhere about using shredded paper. Can you do um, that? Put that in the bottom, maybe? You can, and, um, you know, some people actually put it in as sheets uh, because it does retard things like Bermuda grass and all. But uh, today, you know, you're dealing with basically a, a fibrous carbon product printed with soy ink, so there's nothing in there that's non-biodegradable. And people actually do worm composting, and that's their bedding material for their worms is just shredded up newspaper so uh yes shredded newspaper will build soil as it breaks down and um you know as you as you start out you're going to get you're going to get more and more worms in your soil which is a good thing and uh they like newspaper as a food very very well and of course break it down through their digestive process so yeah nothing at all wrong with the newspaper but it it's one of those things all organic material as it breaks down is going to reduce in volume and uh a lot of newspaper will turn into a very small amount of soil uh, whereas with some other things, uh, the reduction in volume is not nearly as great. But yeah, if you've got access to shredded paper, um, again, try to stay away from you know the slicks, the color portion of things, yeah. and uh, yeah. and that sort of thing, and stay away from waxed products. Uh, there's a lot of waxed cardboard out there now that makes its way into some things, but. Basic old newsprint. If you're not going to recycle it, it is newsprint. Um, then it's it's great in the compost pile. Uh, I I think, and you as an educator, a former educator, well, you're always going to be an educator. You're just not going to be getting paid for it like you were for so many years. But uh, there's a place in Tennessee that they actually have a closed loop, a relatively small town where they they print their town newspaper and they're so efficient at collecting the old papers then that paper is recycled over and over and over and people are reading their paper printed on the same raw material repeatedly because they've just can created this thing as we should do in most of the world kind of a close loop of uh use it recycle and use it again so uh Anyway, long talk about uh, news newsprint, but it's it's a great thing to put into a compost pile or into a garden, either one. Yeah, I have extensive um, resource for shredded paper from the our biology department, and it's not oh great, you know, it's not slick, it's not color, you know, it's all uh, <laughs> black print on white paper. And probably some students that hope those hope those exam scores uh, are destroyed and never seen again. 
That's true. That's true for faculty, too, though. You know, today we're talking about quotes. Uh, One of the other funny ones that I saw said, so long as there are exams, there will be prayer in schools. (laughs) So, (laughs) anyway. How about uh, sheets of paper on the bottom, because we do have, of course, Bermuda, and then mixed in with the uh, soil from Stone and Soil, uh, Uh the shred paper, the compost, the azomite. How does that sound? Sounds good, but throw a little lava sand in there or, uh, you know, the uh, old product that Malcolm used to call vulcanite, which is just more than one type of paramagnetic rock. But I definitely would add some of that because of its water-holding water capacity as well as its cation exchange capacity. Okay, great. Okay, now my gift for Howard. He mentioned, I don't remember, but fairly recently about... Uh, wanting to have examples of trees planted properly and improperly. And uh-huh. on on our neighbor's yard and our yard, the, there were two live oaks that were planted from the same source, H-E-B, and mm-hmm. was planted the same day. And our, uh, about five years ago, our tree is, I don't know, 30 or 40 feet tall, 12-inch diameter, and the neighbor's tree is about two inches tall and maybe ten feet tall. I mean, two inches wide wow. and ten feet tall. Yeah. Yeah. Perfect example. Well, take a couple of pictures, uh, send them to info at dirtdoctor.com, and Howard will appreciate it very much. Okay, great. Thanks for everything. Always a pleasure, Sandra. You have a wonderful Sunday, and uh, we'll we'll look forward to visiting again sometime soon. Thank you. All right. Sandra was an instructor up at uh, Texas State University and a very good one at teaching teachers and uh, just kind of teacher we all wish we had had when we were in school. So always a pleasure hearing from her. Tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to do uh, let uh, Chris run our last commercial break of the show so that we know exactly how much time we have. We'll talk to Frank and Bill and see what we can do after that. All right. Boy, this day went by as far as the radio show goes. <laughs> radio show's gone by in a hurry. See Dr. Kirby coming in, so it'll be time for the pet show here in just a few minutes. But uh, right now, I think we have time to talk to Frank and Bill and Regina. And Frank is up first. Good morning, Frank. Yeah, hi, hi Bob. Uh, got Good morning. Two questions. First one is uh, I talked to you this uh, summer, past summer, about uh, maybe grub worms or um, root rot in the carpet grass of St. Augustine. And now right. uh, I've got it. Um, well, I've raked everything up, and it looks pretty good. In, in the dead area, there are some green runners there, but, of mm-hmm. course, all around them, they're still brown and dead. Sure. So is there anything I should be doing now that might speed up that recovery this summer? Fertilizer and compost. Good organic fertilizer and uh, good organic fertilizer and maybe half an inch of compost. Um, if you've got green runners but have had a lot of dead around it, that's a pretty solid indication uh, that your your main issue is brown patch fungus disease. And it can reoccur in the spring. So along with the fertilizer and the compost, when your grass starts to green up, I'd probably put out a little whole ground cornmeal, which will control any reoccurrence of the brown patch fungus. But... Um, uh, main main two things, and I and I do them both. I do them both in the pretty near future. Uh, just uh, good organic fertilizer and top dressing and compost, and you should have a beautiful yard again. Okay, and and second, uh, we have two front and back of the house, two 
um, uh, at least 47-year-old Arizona action. And I've, okay. I've heard from different places, well, they got a 45-year life expectancy and that kind of thing. So you know, what do you think about that? Um, they, they green uh, leaf every time so far. I'm waiting on this one, of course. But um, yeah. so far, every limb has green leaves on it in the summer. So. You know, it's it's just kind of like uh, you hear me talking about people's health, and tree health is the same way. You neglect an Arizona ash, and it might live for 25 years. You take really good care of it, it might live for 60 years. It's not a tree that I would want to have towering over my home or my driveway, because as they age, they do have a potential to break and drop more limbs. But I'm never going to cut down a tree based on its age. I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, cut a tree down based on its health if I feel like it's necessary. And, uh, the, again, <laughs> it, it's kind of like trying to judge a person by his age. I know people that are old at 45 years old, and I have some friends, uh, in their 90s who are very young. So, uh, I feel the same way about trees. If they're doing well and you continue to take care of them, you'll probably coax several more years to get growth out of them. Okay. Yeah, I got an uh, 80-year-old at a golf with. He knocked the hell out of the ball. <laughs> <laughs> I I used to play with a couple of them back when I had time for things like that, and they couldn't hit it nearly as far as I could, but they were a heck of a lot more accurate. Their their short game was absolutely incredible, and uh, so yeah. But uh, no, I, I'm never going to give up on a tree based on age, but I, I am. The older they get, I'm going to watch for cavities. I'm going to watch for structural weakness in that tree. And uh, I'm not going to put my picnic table or my hammock underneath a tree that's that age, but I'm sure not going to cut it down. Okay. All right. Well, I should thank you. I'll keep on and uh, just keep watering around it. That's a good idea. Deep watering and, and when you, when you fertilize your grass, make two or three passes around it with the fertilizer spreader and, uh, you provide it with what it needs and, uh, it's still got a lot of life in it, Frank. So, uh, call me anytime you have questions and, uh, let's get Bill in here. Good morning, Bill. Hey, good morning there. Um, uh, I got a couple of things, uh, one rating, uh, going back to the last week program and one going back to a program about a year ago. First, <laughs> you may test my memory, but let's go. Go ahead. You're talking about citrus, and uh, uh, you're talking about the the small uh, loquats or whatever they are that are kumquats all year round. Yeah, kumquats, not loquats. Kumquats. Uh, kumquats. Yeah. Now I've been, uh, you know, into a senior citizen, whatever you know. Okay. Detention center. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. With small balcony out there. Can one of those things be put onto a balcony? If the balcony faces south or west, then I think you would have enough light to do well with it. Uh, They do just fine in pots because they're small statured trees. They don't ever make a real big tree. But, um,. Uh, they do need plenty of sunlight, and if, like to say, a south or a west balcony would almost certainly have enough light. 
Uh, north probably would not have enough light. East would be questionable. So if you got uh, south or, or west exposure, uh, go for it. And, and look for the variety called Miwa. It is the sweetest. There's a sweet kumquat and a sour kumquat. Miwa, M-E-I-W-A, would be the sweet kumquat. And uh, if you got enough sun, it should do fine on your balcony. Do you all have that here in town? You know, we sold the last one we have right now earlier this week. We have another shipment coming probably early March. Uh, if you're looking for that sooner, call Fanix Nursery. They usually have good citrus as well. I just I was looking for one yesterday for a lady, and uh, we just sold the last one the day before. We'll have more coming, but if you want one uh, this week, call ask for either Mark or Mike over at Fanix Nursery, and uh, if they have one, they'll set one aside for you. Okay, and how tall would they get? About five feet, five six feet. Oh, okay. And if they uh, and I if they start getting, uh, my son looked up some, and they were talking about going up to nine meters. I said, "Oh, not going to work." No, that's me. no, and that's that's be a bigger kumquat than I've ever seen, and I've seen a lot of kumquats, but you can maintain them at five or six feet beautifully with just uh, once a year trimming. Okay, and that name again, please. Uh, of, of Miwa, M-E-I-W-A, is the variety. Okay. Now, going back a year, you were talking about some uh, excellent uh, organic insecticide that you had over at the uh, shop. Do you all still have that? Or are you still enthused about it? Well, we we use different products for different sources. Uh, the insecticide that I use most is called spinosad soap. And uh, we not only have it in the ready-to-use is how it first came out, but we also have the concentrate on it, which they have come out with in the past year. So uh, spinosad soap is useful for many, many different insect problems, and it's uh, safe and, like I say, it's very, very effective. So, yeah, we've got it, and most good nurseries will have it. And, Bill, I appreciate the call. Let's get Regina in here before the end of the show. Good morning, Regina. Um, I don't know you, if you have time for this, but my husband was interested in that tail tree, and I told him it was nonsense, but then I remembered you saying something about fanics carrying something. Um, now, and, uh, your, your phone's kind of breaking up, so so uh, you were interested in what now? It, it was that fruit cocktail tree. Oh, fruit cocktail tree, right. Uh-huh. And I thought they, it was nonsense, but you mentioned, I think you mentioned that Fanix might carry something like that. They do. Uh, they carry, uh, <laughs> I, I think they are more of a gimmick. I don't think you're ever going to get a lot of fruit off of them, but they have, uh, yeah, they, again, of course, I'm lucky. I, I I have unlimited space that I can grow things, so I'd rather have four trees than trying to, you know, get four different ones. And they're they're sort of a novelty, but uh, I guess if you only have a space for one, they they have a place out there. But uh, I do know that Fanix does carry them. I don't think they have citrus. I think what they have are like a peach. Uh, plum combination not sure what all they have on there but as long as their chilling requirements match the area that you're going to be growing they're they're just one of those fun novelties <laughs> it's just okay. I, i'm into quantity uh more than novelty but uh you know get by and see them sometime they're they're a fun idea okay thank you very much 